well, what do you know about gin? And all he said was that gin will blank you up. You're listening to the MPI Paranormal Podcast, where the truth is to be found. A podcast exploring all things paranormal, hauntings, UFOs, crypto, the unknown. Our members believe in the skeptical approach, but with an open mind, just trying to make sense of it all. I want to get back in there, try to figure that out. It is the unknown. I don't really have a say on it right now because I don't know what the video looks like. Well, I'm looking for the evidence. What's the evidence? A story to me is not really evidence because that's one person's experience. And I do. I take my personal beliefs into it, but like you said, then I have my skeptical side that wants to prove it another way. Military Paranormal Investigations is not affiliated to any branch of the military. It's time. Coming to you from North Texas on multiple platforms for maximum reach. Here are your hosts, members of the MPI team. And welcome to Military Paranormal Investigations. My name is Rob. I'm Mike. I'm Allison. Welcome to tonight's show. Tonight we have with you a, a very special guest. Um, um, we wanted to uh, have him all here with us tonight. His name is Altias. He has a new book out called Project Rabbit Hole. But um, we're going to be getting into that a little deeper here in just a little bit. First, I wanted to kind of ask, what have you guys been up to? Well, me, nothing. Just actually working a lot. Uh, we built this nice studio that you can see. Hopefully everyone's seen it on Podbean. Yes, we did. Facebook, actually. Yes, Facebook, and that and that's actually where I wanted to uh, where I wanted to go. Make sure you always look at us, find us all at militaryparanormal.com, and we now have our Instagram. It's up and linked to that. Uh, it's also military paranormal. If you search for that one word, you can find us there. You can also find us on uh, our YouTube channel, military paranormal as well, or Twitter, and you can also contact us at podcast at militaryparanormal.com. Yeah, we've been uh, trying to review this case file we had. It was yeah. about um, 100, 100 hours worth of... Yeah, I'm still reviewing. It's, it's, I found some stuff in there that I'm like, oh, i got to go back and review again. So it's, it's, it's an interesting case. And um, we actually have a couple of videos out online on our YouTube channel. So go check it out and see if you see anything. And if you do, go ahead and put a comment in some of there. Because I know that camera one alone, there, there's been some stuff moving. We caught some activity from the geophone going up and down the steps when no one was in the house. And, and that was just during setup. Yeah, that was right after setup. I believe there's 37 videos up there each 15 minutes in length. I broke them up so people don't kind of get bored when right. they're watching nine hours of video. Well, good. All right, Allison, how about you? Um, I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas. All right, you got over your uh, kid's birthday there on Halloween. Yes, I did. <laughs> so tonight, again, we have with us Althur Al Tyus. And he has written a book called Project Rabbit Hole. I'm going to give you just a little bit of his bio here. He's the author of actually a couple of books, one called The Last Call on the Potomac and his newest publication, Project Rabbit Hole. He studied the supernatural and the occult for most of his adult life and has a passion for finding links and patterns with the old and new. He holds a BA in classical history from Rhode Island College and an MA in American Milita- from American Military University. His great-great-great-grandfather, grandfather, and father were all veterans of foreign wars. 
He also published his master's thesis, The American Nuclear Submarine and Cold War Deterrence, in 2012. He frequently lectures for Navy history and heraldry at the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., and he served as a federal employee since 1997. A French-Canadian-American, he speaks intermediate French and has an intense interest in Arcadian French and American culture. He frequently travels to Louisiana and loves writing. His main goal is to teach people that not everything supernatural is a ghost. Some findings are far worse. So, how are you tonight, Al? I'm not doing too bad, actually. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's definitely an honor to have you on our show. Um, I've been reading the book, and I uh, I like where you're going with the history side of it. I like how you tied things in. I know we're going to get more into that, but I just want to say it was an interesting read so far. I'm glad you I'm glad you like like it. Uh, I've been getting a lot of uh, pretty good feedback from it. It's it's actually kind of funny because it's kind of a book that's like no other, and some people are reading it and they're kind of going like, "Well, it's, I never thought about putting these." these two things together like this before. And then there are people who are reading it that have no experience or knowledge of the supernatural whatsoever. And they're just kind of like, if I didn't know you, I would swear this was all being made up, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I'm kind of like, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you study this stuff and you have experiences with these things, you know, and, you can't just share it with, with everybody at, at the same time right. with it, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, I think with, with project rabbit hole, it does kind of fall under a, a specific audience with this. And, uh, I kind of like what's happened and kind of where it's, where it's going and everything. And it's kind of funny though, because one of the biggest things I have in the book is I warn against, um, going to um, haunted places, particularly if you're just going in for um, for a thrill or for an experience or something like that. And I, I talk a lot about the dangers that happen to people when they, you know, kind of mess around the supernatural and the occult and they don't know what they're doing. Right. And yet I got an email last week from this guy who just said like, um, Again, oh, uh, you know of any like places in Virginia that are haunted where I can go investigate for Halloween? And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not paranormal AAA. You know, they always seem to think that, you know, um, we just know every place that's haunted. We're just going to tell them, like, oh, yeah, go here, go there, or whatever like that. You know, we're, we're like haunted travel agencies around Halloween sometimes, you know? Right. right. So, yeah, we get a lot of we yeah. get a lot of that, too. And we try to warn people, you know, and, you know. Yeah. Don't don't just go out there yeah. and set up recording in your own house because that's might not be the best idea. Well, yeah. <clears throat> to kind of backtrack here just a little bit, you know, we read over your bio, which is kind of interesting. Can you tell us a little bit how you got your start in the paranormal? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because for um, for me, it's been kind of like a uh, I, it's kind of a lifelong thing because I I didn't really look into it so much as had, you know, just unusual experiences with, with things. And one of the biggest years that that happened for me was, uh, 1979. As I reflect back, a lot of strange things seemed to happen in around 1979. And there were a lot of just unusual things that happened just within my, my neighborhood, uh, just through experiences. And I don't know why that is or how it happened or anything. It's just that um, 
things just kind of happened. My neighborhood was was interesting when I was a kid because it was mostly uh, first generation American, uh, a lot of Irish, uh, Italian, French, Canadian uh, uh, people that lived in the, the neighborhood, and a lot of them were uh, older, and they told the stories about like the little people and nature spirits and all those kinds of things like that. So um, I grew up hearing about a lot of that stuff. But when I was um, about seven years old, I heard a story uh, from the person across the street and through my my mother about this um, troll statue that they had. Now, I remember this thing as a kid. It was like this troll that had these little beady eyes, and it was all made out of, like, um, jute and different types of animal hair and leaves and nuts and all this kind of stuff like that. And it was, like, really a a, a, a tree bark. It was part, a piece of part of a tree, and it was decorated to look like a troll holding a broom. And... I remember as a kid, like, we were like these little kids and we were walking to that house. Like, back then, every, every, all the kids always walked into everybody's houses like that. And we just saw this thing. We were kind of, like, partially creeped up but partially fascinated by it, too. And the um, homeowner of this house was this old, older Irish woman. And she was very superstitious with things. And somebody gave her this this troll statue. And... She was kind of like a little nutty to begin with, which is kind of makes the story funny. <laughs> uh, but um, she um, always told us kids, like, you know, whatever you do, don't make fun of the trolls. You know, they're, you just don't make fun of it. It's part of the little people. You don't make fun right. of them. You know, we just respect him and that's it, you know. And so we would go in and we'd always see this ominous like foot tall statue troll, like holding his broom and staring at us, these little beady eyes. And we just wouldn't really talk about it because we were kind of, you know, afraid. And we learned even back then caution and respect with it. So one day came along, my mother was at that house with this um, other woman who was also Irish and um, this woman and the three women were sitting on the table and the other woman made a comment about the, the troll that was kind of degrading. And just when she made that comment, a lamp flew off a table in the living room and smashed on the floor. Like right at the time she made that comment and my mother was completely freaked out by it. And this and was in your house? Was the, no, this was in that woman's house that had the statue. Okay. And uh, so um, if the, the, the lamp fell and it smashed, the window wasn't open, there was nothing in that room to do that or whatever like that. And it kind of really flipped out that woman that owned that house and, and owned that statue. So whenever I would visit that house, when the kids would visit that house, it was always covered in tea bags. And the tea bags are always hung on it to appease the troll so it wouldn't get angry again. And that was kind of one of the things that I remember as a as a kid that I don't really talk about that much. Is mm-hmm. that that weird um, uh, troll statue like that? But also how, as a kid, I learned a lot about like the, um, the kind of like the nature spirits and things like that. Even back then, and I knew even back then that not everything was you know um, a ghost or the if it was like considered to be quote unquote paranormal. It's right. not uh, necessarily the disembodied spirit of a human. 
you know, we're kind of egocentric, the human race. And even with a lot of paranormal investigators I know, they automatically assume that everything is a ghost. Right. Yeah. And paranormal and ghost almost go hand in hand. Like when somebody says, a paranormal investigator, it's like, oh, do you look for UFOs? No. Do you look for like nature spirits? Right. No. Do you do you investigate gin? What's a gin? What do you do? Oh, we look for ghosts. Right. Okay. You know, and it kind of goes there like that. But um, when I was uh, seven years old, and again, this was in 79, uh, I wrote, this is actually the introduction to my book is that um, my, my family took us to um, this amusement park in Northampton, Massachusetts, which is like long defunct now, like most of those old amusement parks are. Right. And, and uh, I remember like two things about that, that place. There are only two memories. And the first one is my sister flipping on the Ferris wheel, which is another story. But the <laughs> other one is... Um, this this dark ride that was that they had there and it was this weird kind of a dark ride. You know, you just go in and a little electric car and you go through all the spooky stuff, whatever like right, that. Yeah, and, like they have um, these days. They're everywhere like that. And I never liked those dark rides when I was a kid. I just, because I always heard stories about uh, older kids climbing out of the car and right. then jumping out and grabbing you and yeah. pulling you into the darkness and stuff like that. <laughs> So I um so I didn't go go in that ride, but my sister and my aunt went into that ride and uh I was seven, my sister was nine, and I was with my mother on the side and we watched the a little electric car go in with my sister and my aunt in it and it did its thing and everything and um when they came out there was a little um black girl sitting in between them. <laughs> and and I just went like, well, where did she come from? You know, and right. and it was just really kind of strange like that. And she was right in the middle. And so my sister and my aunt got out of the car and um, she, the little girl, ran into the crowd. And I said, you know, um, I, somebody says like, well, I think I said to her like something like, well, who is your friend? And they just kind of like looked at me weird and, you know, kind of ignored me because I was seven years old and mm -hmm. nobody else could attention to the young kids and that. And, and years later, I still like would say to her, like, you remember that ride? And she goes, there was nobody in that car with us. So, you know, that day. That just, or even that day, there was nobody in that car. Hmm. Like it was just my sister and my aunt. They never, they never acknowledged that little girl in that car. And you're the only one like, that saw her? I, my mother vaguely remembers something like that, but being older now, I can't mm. really say too much of her memory, but I very specifically saw her and I knew that she was dressed more like, you know, in the seventies, all style was weird in the seventies, right, you know, yeah. and even for kids, we have all had these particular styles and that little girl was dressed more like the night, the early 1960s, like the, um, like kind of like a plaid skirt and um, black shoes and yeah, I, like it was just like almost like a um, the the ones you see with the little the, the kids that went to school back then. Okay, yeah. Um, and that and um, not dressed for an amusement park, and it was just really, really strange. And I found out years later I did research on that park. And I did research on the, um, that particular ride, which burned down not too long um, 
burned down to like the late eighties, actually like 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, it was an African safari exhibit. You went in, it was like a dark ride that had this whole African theme mm-hmm. to it like that and everything. And, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that yeah. you had this African themed exhibit and a little like African or African American girl came running out of the car like that. And so I just, so that was one of the times I just said, well, that's kind of an interesting pattern like that, you know, that, that, that kind of, um, happened like that. And mm. it's something that I just never forgot. Right. And it's um, interesting that I, you saw it and no one else, but you think your mother did. Cause I, I've had experiences yeah. like that as well, where people have seen yeah. things that I can't see. And I know Mike and Jeff, they had yeah. experiences as well. Kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that was, that was like the very first time I, I saw one. And, um, and for a while, it was like every seven years, I would see some sort of an apparition, but it would always catch me off guard. It was like, never when you're looking for them, never when you're expecting anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was always something um, uh, caught, caught off guard um, like that. When I was 14, I saw a just a full-fledged white apparition of a man looking out my uh, looking out the window in the house I was living in, and it just faded in front of me. It only lasted about maybe like five seconds, and it was done mm-hmm. like that. And uh, the third time was really the most interesting because by now I was um, in my early twenties, and I was in college, and that was the year that um, I worked at I worked at a fast food restaurant, and I worked a night shift. And it was a really hot summer and I would come home and we had a pool in the back and I would come home and around like one, two o'clock in the morning, I would, you know, just uh, take a swim after work and everything. And then I would go to bed and I went into the pool. I had to put the take because of the, the laws and everything. I had to take the ladder and put the ladder into the pool and then get into the pool. And I would, I was swimming in the pool. And when I came up, I looked up and um, on the porch of my, my mother's house, there was this man standing there uh, with his arms crossed. And I couldn't really see his face because it was kind of like behind a potted plant that mm-hmm. my mother had hanging. And I just went like, oh, for, and I just, let's just say in, in French, it'd be kind of like, Christ de tabernacle. Like, you <laughs> like, still a few words. And the reason why I, I, I said that was because I thought that, um, you know, I woke up my stepfather. I, I call my stepfather Bob here a lot of times because it's, I just think it's kind of funny. Um, I just thought like I woke him up. He's angry because he never talks to me exactly. He just stares. And now he's, you know, angry. So as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, for crying out loud. So I got out of the pool, picked the ladder out of the pool, everything like that, because I clearly saw him standing there. And that was enough to impact me to stop everything, grab a towel and go in. And I was just going to say to him, like, you know, you could have just said something. I'm sorry I woke you up. Right. You know, mm-hmm. or something like that, you know. And the next morning, uh, I was, um, I confronted him the next morning and I just said to him, you know, you could have said something. I didn't mean to wake you up, you know. And he just goes, I never got up last night. Hmm. <laughs> wow. you know, he's like, I never got up and 
And then I was like, oh, you're going to be kidding me. He goes, no, I was sleeping all night. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I paused and I went like, well, who was that? Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I did deductive reasoning because we have a, we always have a dog and every dog we get, you know, a twig snaps and they go ballistic, yeah, you know, and there was no, yeah. And there was no way a stranger could have walked onto that porch without the dog um, hearing it. So, so that's why I thought it was, um, you know, my stepfather, I right. you know, made perfect sense. Yeah, and right. it wasn't him. And I started, and now what was weird about it was at that time, my grandfather was in and out of the hospital and he was going through, um, basically he was pretty much dying of cancer. And the day, and I, I, the month, that, that following month, he did die. And I thought to myself, thinking about the clothes that he was wearing and the position he had and everything, I just went, that looked a lot like my grandfather, but it could have been my grandfather because he was alive. Mm. But he was really, really sick. And it was the first time I I actually started looking up the possibility that, you know, somebody can show themselves to you when they're still alive but dying. Right. And I went, I wonder if that's what it was. And there have been a lot of strange things that have happened uh, with my grandfather um, ever since he died. In, in this case, possibly before he died. So, um, so I, so I, making a long story long, I really had some weird, you know, experiences happen that I remember in great detail, but I just can't comprehend as mm-hmm. to why and how it happened well, like that. And I know we're going to probably get into it a little bit later, but do you think that it's maybe some sort of consciousness level with your grandfather, you know, like a, like an altered consciousness, especially maybe as he was maybe slipping away. Uh, possibly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking like that. Like, um, I guess what I was thinking too, is that, you know, if he's like, you know, in and out of the consciousness, the soul could possibly leave the body and, and that kind of stuff and everything. And, you know, and he and I didn't have the best, you know, we had a very distant relationship and uh, it was just like, possibly he was just visiting people before it was his time to, to move on, I guess. So that's kind of what crossed my mind with it. Okay. Well, I mean, so you kind of had some paranormal experiences that's kind of got you interested into it. I know you later on mm-hmm. became a paranormal investigator. What, yeah. what, what led you to write your first book, Last Call on the Potomac? Well, well, what did it with that was um, in 99, I started, I became a paranormal investigator. Um, and, and by 2000, I was actually in one of the very first groups that was established at the time, which was, um, it was called the Virginia Ghost and Hauntings Research Society. Uh, they're called um, CPRI now. It's led up by um, Barbara Atrostein. Um She's probably has the old, one of the oldest groups in the country now. And back then we didn't have anything. We didn't have cell phones. We mm. were just starting to get cell phones coming out after nine 11. That's when everybody really started buying cell phones in, in the area. And, um, the equipment was very archaic compared to now. We didn't oh, have yeah. camera phones. We had to get film developed. You know, it was yeah, like exactly. a whole, 
different different world um, back then. And we were um, getting a lot of cases because there was nobody else doing this and it wasn't popular at the time either. So we were doing this stuff and then I um, broke off and started a group specifically for the DC metro area, which was called um, DC metro area ghost watches or DC mag. And we focused on um, really Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland, the district and areas kind of around the skirts of it, but we had a parameter and there was so much stuff within that parameter we very really had to leave that that section with with activity and stuff like that. So I um, started to do this, and I started getting into some pretty well known, not only pretty well known places, but they had interesting histories, and um, we had interesting things that were happening in a lot of them. And we just and people just kept saying to me, you know, you should write a book on this, and. I was always kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about writing a book and blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I had my car accident in 2005 when I got hit by a car. And when I get hit by the car, um, if I could explain this correctly, (laughs) it's, I don't know if you've ever experienced like real trauma, but when you experience real trauma, weird things happen. Right. And like sound changes sight changes and things kind of change. And when I got hit by the car, I got thrown into the, an intersection and I landed on my, um, I landed face first on the pavement. And I just remember like my vision was going, my hearing was going. And then I had this weird, almost like a projection of being underneath another car or something like that. And I'm, and I honestly really thought, that was my last day. I really honestly thought I was going to die that day. Um, and, uh, then, um, the, and then the firemen came and all this stuff and everything. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I, I, I they put my leg back together and I ended up okay, right. but I just thought, but, but it changed me completely because I realized that whenever you hear about these ghost stories, and and that kind of stuff, you think they're kind of spooky or romantic, whatever like that. But it was the first time I really started to think that these were real people that were living their life just like I was. And they got killed a lot of times, like I almost did. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gave me a new, different perspective on it. And so a couple of things I wanted to do was I wanted to give really more of a um, a sympathetic view towards if they were like, you know, ghosts that were haunting those places like that. Okay. And, and I just wanted to kind of give an account of um, at that time, what I, um, some of the, some of the cases that I experienced in, um, in, you know, the Northern Virginia, particularly Northern Virginia area and, and that kind of stuff. So, Really, that's really what it was kind of about like that. And I just felt like, you know, I I want to just write because I started really feeling a lot of, um, uh, I guess you could say like limited time, you know, when you know you're finite mm-hmm. and that. And I just felt like as a, I, I, I want to just kind of like write a few of my memoirs out about some of my, my uh, more interesting cases. And 
So that's that's kind of what I did with it. Okay. okay, that's pretty cool. You know, our very own Allison had a near-death experience, and I think that kind of yeah. changed her perspective and way of, of thinking on things, too. And it changed me in a couple of ways, and this is where it gets to be kind of strange because um, one, one thing that, that started happening was um, I was able to, I don't know how to explain it, but I was able to walk in a room and I knew exactly what happened in that room like a hundred years ago. And I did that at a tavern in um, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And I knew nothing about that place. And I went into one room and I just went, um, I just went, this room just has pacing and the woman pacing back and forth and back and forth and very nervous like that. And I don't know what this is or what's going on, all this stuff and everything. And the people were like freaked out. And I said, why, what's that? And they said, a woman died in this room. That's what she did. She was pacing back and forth, waiting for her her lover to come back, who was out to see or something like that. And that's exactly what she did because this was her room. I knew nothing about it, but I picked up on it. Now that's pretty, and I'm sorry. That started happening, and then I started picking up on things that people were doing, like in normal time, like things like um, things things like uh. I'd be talking on the phone with somebody and I would go like, um, you know, be careful chewing on that pencil because it looks like it's about to break off. And they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? How'd you do that? And that kind of stuff <laughs> like that. And it would just kind of come up and, and that. And one time I actually had a, um, a police officer um, send me an email and he said, um, he's working on a murder case. And he said, you know, I'm wondering if this, he goes, I'm, I'm really at a dead end. I'm wondering if there's anybody, that can help me. And I just replied back and I said, well, I may be able to help you. As I, when I read your email, um, all I see is like hair flying around, a lot of hair flying around and fingers and, and cutting. And I don't know what's, what's going on with that. And I'm picking up on like, there's something around. It's like a, either it's a woman or it's an adolescent or a summer boy who might be a feminine or something like that. I'm not sure what's going on with it. And he replied back and he said, I need to call you because they almost fell out of my chair. And so the, the police detective called me and he said, the case I'm working on was a murdered hairdresser. Wow. And it was a gay man. So, and you described all the stuff that was going on with it. And I was kind of freaked out by that. I would, <laughs> you know? I would be too. So were you yeah. picking up on this like kind of a, a sensitive or more of a medium thing? Yeah. It was, I think it was more of like a medium thing, but it didn't last. It only lasted for maybe like a year and then it went away. So and, this is like after you know, your accident? And, yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that's where I was going. So a lot of people say things like that happened to them after a near-death experience. Do you think that you had some of the signs and indicators of having yeah. a near-death experience? I do. I really do. Um, I do. I think that's what, what happened with it. Because um, going back to the accident, uh, the doctors don't know how I, the way I was hit, the way the car hit me, and the way that the impact was, they don't know how I, first off, they're not exactly sure how I lived. And second off, they don't know how I didn't get like, you know, a, a major head injury. Like they checked my, my head and all that stuff and there wasn't any injury or anything like that when they did all that kind of stuff like that. So, um, 
Yeah, so I think there was something like that, but I think maybe like it neurologically it rattled something, mm-hmm. and then everything kind of fell back into place. Like after a few years, <laughs> I'm not quite sure about about that, but um, there's still some stuff that comes up like that. Like um, I can't walk into a haunted place without knowing it's haunted. Okay, is um, one thing with it. I I I know exactly what it is i mean i don't know what exactly it is but i know that there's a presence in there and that and i wrote about that in project rabbit hole like last year when i went down to um louisiana when i went to this one tourist um building in the french quarter and i had to leave because it felt like three of them like jumped on me like that and i just and i couldn't breathe and i just felt completely crowded and overwhelmed i just had to get out of that get that building Mm -hmm. like that and and nowadays, like, I don't explore it. I don't, I'm not curious about it. I kind of hate it like that, you know, um, because it's always kind of like an off guard kind of thing with mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you right, know? right. I, so, I did want to throw in something here. And you and I have talked, you know, a couple of times before we came to this investigation and that, and we talked about some of those, uh, the, the relativity of things. And I know Rob was yeah. kind of, we Rob and I had some banter back and forth about that, but I wanted to throw this out there and I hope he doesn't get mad at me, but what's really mm-hmm. odd and you and I have related some things in the past, but that are things that were related that we had, but Jeff's daughter was hit by a car Friday night. Yeah. And, and she's, she's okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. But I just, I think I just, the synchronicity of that. And then you coming on here talking about, and I just, I didn't think about it. I'd read the book before, but it yeah, just, I didn't, Kind of really. Anyway, maybe that's a little out there, but I just y'all know me. So you never know. You never know. It could be. But and I, I, I hope Jeff doesn't get upset about that. Sorry, Jeff, but we're all praying for Jordan, and he, she, he said that yeah. she's all right. Yeah, so. he said she's all right. Well, so, so, um, so now you've gotten through last call on the Potomac. What changes or changes in your life or investigations led you to write the second book? There, your your newest book, Project Rabbit Hole. I'm trying to hold this up here for well, the video. It's actually on our screen too. Sure. Um, that was when things started getting more and more strange because I just started to notice, like, as um, one of the things I'd noticed, like, even at the very beginning of investigating, was how things would follow us home, was one big thing with it. And I've always thought to myself, like, what was that that followed us home? It wasn't a ghost, obviously, because I believe by definition, ghosts are confined to a particular area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, if they can follow you home, then why can't they go wherever they want? Like, right. Why are they yeah. staying, like, you know, so it just kind of like made me wonder about that. And I started to really think about more of the unusual things that were happening. And I always kind of knew like that, that a lot of these things weren't um, ghosts per se with it. And I just started to think to myself, like, well, I want to do some more research into, like, the more non-human um, elements to this kind of stuff. And and that because, you know, a lot of times, like, people, either they, when you talk about the non-human elements of this, they either, they either get really, like, closed up or mm-hmm. they kind of, like, laugh it off. So what do you or mean by... they get what, weird. What do you mean by non-element? I mean, um, non-human elemental, okay. non, non, non-human element is basically things like, um, gin, nature spirits, um, 
anything that um, that that we know traditionally that to haunt, mm-hmm. but um, not necessarily in our culture, but have been uh, that have existed in other cultures that have never been human or even living spirits. For example, in um, the Middle East, they don't have ghosts in the Middle East. Everything that haunts is a jinn. And for them, it's just as common for them to call it a jinn as we got to call it a ghost. Okay. Like that. And I started to look at this kind of stuff. And then the, like, the um, whole concept of, like, you know, the people, like, we tend to think whenever it's a non-human entity that it's a demon. Everything's a demon. And that, and that, and so then, like, you get into those demonologists or the religious people or whatever like that and everything, and I'm kind of like, that's not necessarily what it is either. So I wanted to see a couple of things. I wanted to really look at, A, is it just us, or is there a lot of other things on the astral plane, which is what I tend to believe, and B, if it's, um, where do we fit into this whole thing? Okay. with it right. kind of like that and so i started looking at those things and when i started looking at some of the more complex cases that i did that i did not write on in um last call of potomac i there were cases by then that i knew were non-human and i knew were pretty dangerous right but i always kept kind of quiet about those because you know i just felt like it's either gonna bring out the really creepy fanatical people or I'm going to lose my credibility one right. or the other. Right. Right. Like that. You go, even as a panel investigator, you can almost lose your credibility. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, with this stuff. So, so it's kind of like, well, where do you, where do you go with this? Right. And I just started noticing too, that, um, since I left in 2006, 2007, wherever, whenever I left, I stopped investigating <laughs> I started noticing that I would, I left before like the big social media bomb, like everybody's on social media now and YouTube and all this streaming, all this kind of stuff and everything. I left before all that. And I'm seeing now how people are playing with fire with this stuff. Like how they're ordering debit boxes online or they're trying to summon things up in graveyards and they're streaming it. Uh, and that's like Slender Slenderman is another one like that. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, all this stuff is starting to, um, come up now and they're pushing the envelope more and more and more. And the whole, um, reality television show thing like that. And how like these, on some of these shows, they're going into these places. And when you push aside the ones that are possibly hoaxes, they're going into these places and they're threatening things. Mm-hmm. They're putting themselves out as bait. Right, There's even yeah. a case where somebody gave a blood offering to something. Um, they're doing any, <coughs> excuse me, anything to kind doing of provoke it. To, to provoke it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then I started to really start looking at more and more of this and how, um, how many times like, these particular people that are really involved in this stuff seem to have really, really bad luck, misfortune, illness, mm-hmm. um, kind of bad things happen to them like that. And I'm just noticing it more and more. And I, so that's when my research really started going on like that. And um, that's really 
one of the big elements of, of Project Rabbit Hole is that um, there's a dangerous side to all of this. Oh, definitely. And it's getting more and more dangerous, and people are just ignoring it because our fear factor is increasing more and more, I think, as a, as a society. Oh, yeah, when you and, look at when The Exorcist came out, Right. Um, yeah. You know, people were just fainting and passing out. And nowadays, I mean, you got blood and gore. So I think people are becoming accustomed to it and their yeah. tolerance level is different. Well, look at the new shows that exactly. are going now, like uh, the, the zombie ones. I mean, there's all blood and guts yeah. on that one. So people are all about that now. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, 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 it's increasing with that kind of stuff. And as a result of that, I just think that they're, um, there's more and more of an interest with this stuff and they, they, they don't know what they're getting into. And I remember one time when I heard up a paranormal investigator say that his ultimate goal is to get thrown across the room by something, no, you know, and <laughs> trust me, you do not want that. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, like, is this like the paranormal version of 50 Seeds of gray or something like that? <laughs> <You> know, it's, <laughs> it's just kind of, kind of weird with, with that stuff. And I just thought to myself, like, yeah, they're putting themselves out as bait and they're trying to find the proof that it exists. Mm -hmm. And the second theory about Project Rabbit Hole is you're not going to get the proof because whatever these things are, being that if it's like a... I think they're all like just branches on the same tree personally in a lot of ways like that, whether it's a, a ghost or an elemental or, you know whatever it is. And they just, they either, A, they always seem one step ahead of us at every time, like how you'll have the cameras on and nothing will happen. You turn the cameras off, then things will start happening. Mm -hmm. You turn the camera back on again, it'll just stop. Oh, yeah. Or my, my house, we, I have so much stuff that happens in my house and we've been in there four times now and nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and then we exactly they, everybody leaves, and as soon as they leave, it's like, ah, here I am. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And they they know they know exactly um, how to how to do it like that. And there's other things like that. Like if it's an EVP, it's never like a conversational EVP, and you don't really get that much information from them. Right. And it's, it's almost like they're like two entities ever like that. It's like, yeah, hey, hey, Carl, watch this. What's I'm going to do now? Watch this. <laughs> You know, and then you just like that. Hey, jerk! Right now, watch them freak out. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like they they know they know what they're doing with with this stuff, and they. So that's what I'm thinking. Like we're never going to have really the proof of it we're looking for, and I mean, I know like nowadays everybody wants to look at science for this, but nobody uses the scientific method for it like yeah. you can't test it and retest it and have a hypothesis and test right. it and come to a conclusion and publish it in the journal right. like that because it's not consistent and, and you know there's th nothing in it that's consistent you're very correct and that's kind of our our dilemma that we have so our, a lot of our stuff is just documentation because you have to kind of mm -hmm. figure out where you're going to go in order to perform a scientific test exactly so if you can yeah. repeat and and get that stuff that's happening then maybe you can be able to develop a test so that then you can use the scientific method, but you're very correct. There's, there's nobody that's an expert or a scientific mm -hmm. background or anything yeah. because it's just impossible this time. Uh, exactly. Even like how I was just doing a little bit of research before, um, before I called on, on EMF frequencies and that stuff and how 
there's been never a proven, um, you know, hypothesis and conclusion that EMF is even associated with hauntings, I don't believe. I think it was, um, from what I'm reading about it, there was a Canadian neurologist who basically said that hallucinations can be increased in high amounts of EMF. And he theorized that, and now everybody's like, oh, let's go with the EMF meter, beep, 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 you know what I mean? Like, like that, that kind of stuff, and a lot of people don't even know why or how they're doing it, you know, like that right. kind of stuff. And so it's just, I just find it to be, um, you know, kind of, kind of interesting um, with it and how, like, okay, so this isn't working, so... Now what do we do? We just spent three hours in the basement sitting up against the washing machine trying to get something to happen, and nothing has happened with this at all. So now let's try to get something else. Okay, let's let's try to, like, you know, um, threaten it, <laughs> you know, right. or something something like that. Let's try to use, like, you know, psychology on, on these things or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's it's all very uh, subjective when you look at it, but we also have so many weird things that happen that we know there's something to it, Right. but we never have enough evidence to really prove that there's something to it. Right. And we're probably not going to ever, ever have that with this. So it's always going to kind of be on the fringes with, with this kind of stuff. You know what? I, so, I, I think that, that may change. I think it's going to take investigators getting serious about the science part of it and trying to determine that. You know, I read a statistic, and it's something like 80-something percent of people believe that there can be a haunting of some sort. You know, and that goes across, you know, it's not quite as high, but there that even falls into um, people that are not of faith and things like that. But they believe right. that there is a phenomena that's out there. And, and, and so hopefully, yeah, one day— well, something will happen that we can try to get an, an instrument or something or or a process down that can maybe identify that it well, actually is something. I know in Al's book, I read that where he was talking about as technology increases, so does their knowledge of that technology to try and avoid yeah. that technology. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, too, that they um, – they already know. Like if it's if it's uh for example if it's gin, um gin are very, very smart. And gin are like gin kinda like see us as like, you know, almost like, you know, animals like that. They're they have like this they live a lot, lot longer and they have a lot more experience of things and I just think that um if it's something like a gin, they're automatically gonna. If it's a piece of technology that come up, they're automatically gonna like figure out like how to like um, get around it or something like that. So possibly in the early stages, something may come up, but then they're gonna be like, no, I don't think so. You yeah. know, so it's it's just it's just kind of like that. So I, I like I said, I don't know, but I did I did write about in my um, in Project Rabbit Hole. I did write about that first investigation that I knew this guy went on where he caught footage of something walking across the room on an infrared camera. Mm -hmm. And when he played it back, it was all snow. Now you're talking like about that. the one where you recorded on a VCR, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when it, when it went back, it was all snow and they couldn't, they, nothing, um, nothing, uh, recorded on it, mm -hmm. you know? And, 
And I just like mm-hmm. see that kind of stuff that happens um, a lot like that. Like they'll, they'll have an EVP, they'll play it back and all of a sudden EVP is gone, you know, like weird, weird things like that, that just seem to happen. So I don't know. I think if it's, if we're going to be able to get something that's going to be able to work with that, we're going to have to really outsmart them or there's going to have to be some really like, you know, surefire way to, um, to do this. And at this point, I'm pretty convinced that they're always going to stay one step ahead of, ahead of us with this stuff. Okay. Now, was this one of the early investigations that you went on? I didn't go on that one. I was in the group and the other guys went on that one. And that was a really, really haunted place in Chesapeake. Okay. And, um, that was one of the things that, that actually happened, um, there at, at that place with it and those of course were the really early days where everything right. was a big huge vcr and you had to set up the camera oh yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah like that so i mean of course human error could have been an element too true, but true. Um, yeah um yeah i was thinking when when i read that i was thinking because you said there was a lot of ghosts in there at least six and one it was an alpha do you think there was like high yeah. emf there as well um i think there was and not only that, not only that, but it was very close to the water, and I think that the, that for some reason, when places are close to water, I think they have higher chances of interaction with right, one. I, I believe the same thing with that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Because the reason. Yeah, I and um. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just thinking, like a lot of the port cities, like New Orleans and New York, and mm-hmm. um, places like that, have a lot of activity, but then again, you also find things in the desert. So it's not always the case with it, you know, when you look at it. So again, it's just never, you can never say A plus B equals C with this stuff because D always comes with and sabotages it. Right. Yeah. I I was just curious on that uh, because it was a VCR Mm -hmm. tape and a lot of magnetism can can erase that magnetic strip on there. So maybe that could be a possibility. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you guys tested that theory out. That's a good point, too. Because remember, like, a lot of times when we played stuff back, it always came up kind of grainy mm-hmm. and uh, kind of weird like that and all that stuff. So it was always, like, um, that 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 kind of stuff with it. You know, when I still have, like, way down in my storage unit, I still have, like, about four or five of those old VHS tapes of oh, things wow. from, like, 15 years ago or <laughs> something like that that may go into an archive someday or, or, or right. something. It, like that but um but 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 i also like but but uh, i'm getting a little bit off on a tangent here but i also just started noticing more and more how my health was starting to it just seemed like health was starting to decline a lot more as i was because we were doing like two investigations a weekend at one point it just got so slamming oh, and we wanted to that. help everybody yeah and we just had so many cases going on and uh some of these cases were um, coming through and, you know, and this is a very diverse area. So we were getting cases in and it was like people from like, you know, other countries and they, they said, right. Oh, I don't think it's a ghost, right. you know, and, and that we know it's something though. We know it's something, but I don't think it's a ghost, but it's, it's something. And sometimes they would even come up with something that like, I never even heard of like, Oh, what the heck is that? And I'd have to look it up and, figure out what they were talking about or whatever like that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and everything and uh, go through that stuff. And what the things that I was 
hearing about what the cases I was working on, I just knew these things were getting more and more dangerous. And it just seemed like at one point it's like the page flipped and I went into like cases, but I had like, I used to have like a lot of like cases of something like ghosts. And then it started, then the ghost cases started coming less and less. And it was things that were terrifying people. Okay. Um, like there was one case I had where um, this woman was running daycare and you know, and these kids were all like at the old, oldest, they were like four. And they went one time they were playing a game or something. And one little boy ran into um, one of the bedrooms and he came out and he was just absolutely terrified. And two other little kids walked up to him and said, don't worry, we saw it too. And they were like comforting this kid, Wow, you know, and I'll never forget that with it. And <clears throat> yet they wouldn't talk to the adults about it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I just started seeing that, and they were like from, um, I think that family was from Sri Lanka or somewhere like that, uh, you know. And when I talked to them, they were just like, they just called it an it, you okay. know, like that, and just um, were just, and they were just like, something is back there, and a lot of stuff came up too with um, people practicing either. Santeria or voodoo or even just, you know, dark witchcraft and things like that. There are a lot of cases that I've either worked on or researched where um, people are involved in that kind of stuff and they learn how to summon things up and send them to people, kind of like in revenge and stuff like that. And that's been, that's been a steady since the ancient Greeks. Right. Yeah. They they figured out how to do that, and people are still doing that today. I I write about that um, a case like that that happened with a um, high ranking military officer whose sister was practicing sensory and sending all sorts of stuff into his house. Mm-hmm. And what a what a nightmare that was. And we actually went in and um, cleared it, cleared cleared it out like that. So there's a lot of lot of stuff like that. And so I started to get more and more. Um, not not really scared, but my, my horizons were just kind of like expanding more and more. And then I had, when I went, I went overseas and I still can't really talk about what happened when I went overseas, but right. something happened and it just was so mind blowing and so weird that um, I was just not the same after that. And I just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And that's where I, that's when I, um, I said either I'm going to break this whole thing up and end it, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to have somebody else take it over. And then I had a guy take over my group and within a year he died. And before, yeah, it was really, that was, it was really, really traumatizing with that because he was, um, a Navy guy. In fact, he was buried in Arlington National Cemetery mm-hmm. and he did um, search and rescue. And I, you know, trained him as best I could. And I just kept saying to him, like, um, I like, I'm really sorry. I'm giving you a crash course with this. I know I am, but I want to try to train you as best I can, but I'm not going on these cases. Right, and that was the big thing that I'm, I'm not going on these cases with this. And, um, and then he had two, two cases he was working on and they were both involved things that didn't sound human. One was something that was 
So one, one was something that was terrifying the family and some, somebody that called themselves a demonologist or something like that binded it to the attic. He was telling me, and so then they kept hearing these knocking and banging all up in the attic. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm not going to that place, and I really don't know how I would handle this because right. somebody else went in, made it worse, and so I don't know what to say about it. And then there was another time where um, he said that somebody in the house had this urge to stab him. This is what the guy was the, my, the guy I, I appointed was telling me, and I just said, "Don't go back to that house. Don't don't go back to either of those." And he he kept going back. He's like, "Oh, I want to help these people." And I said, "I really don't think you can really help these people. I think that there's major things going on here." And uh, then he would, you know, and, and the thing about it too with like paranormal investigators, and you've probably experienced this, is there's a lot of them that are unreliable. You know, oh, yeah. they don't show up, they get bored, they take off, you never hear from them again. They want to be part of the group, but they never go on investigations, all that kind of, and then they complain, and um, he couldn't get a group mm-hmm. to go with him. He couldn't, he couldn't get a group to go, and uh, he ended up starting to go on investigations alone. Yeah, that's and definitely no. Shortly after that was when he, um, he, he died. Um, in his um, early 40s. And when that happened, I was just kind of shocked and stunned. And then I thought to myself, like, um, I heard of some other people that have, had, that have died from, from this, especially the ones that are involved in demonology and that darker side of things. Right. And I looked at Lou Gentile and I looked at Andrew Calder and I looked at a few other ones like that. And I was just thinking to myself, like, there's a lot of people that have died and they've died young Mm -hmm. and this is kind of weird. And I just started really looking at this and then like just, um, and all the circumstances, but Rosemary Lynn Guiley just died a couple months ago and she was like a big gin expert. And I just started going to myself, like, I think there's something to this. So I started looking at the research with the, and there's one book by an occultist, Beyond Fortune, Mm -hmm. written in the 1930s. And that book, totally talks about how some people are so susceptible to hauntings that they get sick and a lot of them actually die from exposure to this kind of stuff. Mm. Especially when it's, um, when it's bad entities and stuff like that and everything. And, um, with paranormal investigators, they go from place to place to place, right? you know, and you go to one place, pick something up there, not know it. Think of the next place next week and pick something else up, you know, and, back and forth like that and everything. And God knows what's actually in those places. And um, eventually that's going to start doing spiritual damage. And then it's going to start doing psychological damage. And then it may or it may not get worse. Like people have told me, like they come home, their animals don't recognize them. Their dog attacks them with a big one. Right. Um, Their kids, their little kids, like will be afraid of them um, initially. Or their kids will have nightmares. That's a big one too. Their kids will have nightmares, uh, and those things. And and they say to me like, "Oh, I can handle. It. I'm not afraid. I'm like, I'm not concerned about you. I'm concerned about that two year old that you have at home." Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's my concern about that because guess what? If something's going to be attacking that two year old, you're not going to be able to kick it out very right. easily. Yeah. You know, and 
that should be your fear. Your fear should not be coming after you. It should be what's coming after, you know, your toddler exactly, yeah. or your elderly parent and, and, and those kinds of things. I talked about a case where um, I had a very brutal um, male entity that I think was a human ghost. Mm-hmm. I think, but I'm not sure. And um, an old lady was invited on that, that, um, that case. She was like around 80. Okay. She was invited by the, the, the uh, family to be there. And I never like guests because you never know what will happen with guests. And right. that family loved inviting people over to watch us investigate. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, her son, who was also there, and he was an intel agent, he kind of sent me pictures and he's like, this has my mother. And she had bruises on her uh, biceps that looked like somebody grabbed her and shook her. Oh, wow. Big, huge black and blue bruises. They are like that. And I said, um, that's why it went after the weakest person in the group mm-hmm. like that. And so it's, it's, it's things like that, that, um, that, that come up with it. And, uh, and I, so that's really the, why, one of the reasons why I started writing, you know, project rabbit hole was to go over like these bad things that tend to happen to people that are really involved in this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and the changes that are coming up. Right. Internet, video streaming, even the medics is a, is a big part about that and how um, all this stuff is really transforming in front of us now, technologically, spiritually, everything is really drastically changing. And I really do fear that... Um, we're either opening up portals or summoning things coming through here that we don't know what the heck they are, what they could possibly do. Yeah. And I write about cases of that happening yeah. like that too in, in the book. So, and so some of it could be a little kind of out there, but um, yeah. I did my research on it as well. You know, I connected the gray aliens with this stuff. I connected um, the little people, I connected the Russia um, experiences during the Soviet Union that um, they had during the Soviet Union and compared them to things that we had happened during the Cold War and how those two separate groups were having very different visions of what they were seeing when it came to um, ETs. They didn't match up at all. Well, and how interesting that was. And it made me think to myself, like, I don't think these are aliens. Well, These are something else. Well, yeah. I definitely want to get into that. I do have, we're coming up on about, we just went over the hour mark there for just a second. If I can uh, get you to stay on the line for just a second, we're going to take about a two minute commercial break um, sure. and, and just uh, kind of cover some business there for just a second. But I do want to, that's where I was actually going to move into next. So when we come back, we will be back with our, our guest, Al Tias and his book, Project Rabbit Hole. Okay. The MPI Podcast. The truth is to be found. We'll be right back. With progress comes a time to expand your search and explore further. Meet GS2 the most feature-packed laser grid system for ghost hunting all in one package. 
The original GS1 was the first product created for paranormal investigations right here at Ghost Stop. Over the years, it has become an essential tool for investigators. The GS2 takes us even further with more features for visualizing changes in the environment, now coupled with an array of sensors for precision measurement, alerts, and event tracking. GS2 detects motion, direction, distance, temperature, and shape within the laser mapped area. It starts by logging baseline readings, then begins scanning the grid for changes and logging notable events. GS2 is a search forward in precision measurement and ease for paranormal investigators. Shed a new beam of light on your investigations with the GS2 laser grid system. Only at GhostStop.com. Welcome back to the MPI Podcast with your host, members from the MPI team. This episode is produced and sponsored by Military Paranormal Investigations. Welcome back to Military Paranormal Investigations Podcast. My name is Rob. I'm Mike. I'm Allison. And today we have with us author Al Tyus. He's got his uh, most recent book, Project Rabbit Hole. We've been discussing with him kind of how he got into the paranormal, what led him to write his books, and uh, kind of where he went. Yeah, a little bit of case studies that he's done and some of his past things and talking about the rabbit hole. And I've been itching to get into this part about how he can tie everything in with all his research and stuff so you still with us al yes i am all right great so yeah i was uh reading the a little bit more of the project rabbit hole and i was looking at all the different uh entities that you were talking about as far as ghost elementos the djinn angels demons um and then uh apparitions and the uh, the grays and extraterrestrials that's that's really where I'm I'm looking forward to, to see how you tie that in and then uh, gods and god forms basically just a thought form so okay yeah go ahead cool. and tell us how you can tie some of that in sure um, it's kind of um, it's kind of interesting because um, I have a kind of a different take on um, the gray aliens because there were a few cases I've worked on I never worked on one directly that involved them but I've corresponded with quite a few people about about that stuff and those things are terrifying too i might add you know mm-hmm. um but uh, if you think about the typical scenario of a of a great alien what they do is they basically abduct people and then they kind of like hold them down and then they a lot of times they do like weird things to them and a lot of it's like you know sexual and that and, and nature and, and those kinds of things. And then um, when the person ends up coming back to it all, there's like a time jump or something right. like that. And something you kind of don't really remember about it. And like a time lapse. Mm-hmm. And there are so many stories about the fairy folk that do that, where you have stories of people who have been like half human, half fairy type of hybrids. Okay. Uh, people that have been um, babies, particularly, have been abducted from their from their cradles. Um, is another one like that, and uh, people disappearing in the woods. 
Uh, a lot of gray alien encounters happen in the woods. Uh, as another one with that, when people actually see them, um, or they're kind of like in areas around wooded areas like that. Kind of like that and, Travis Walton incident. Yeah. Yes. And I think the guy from communion was in a cabin in the woods or something like that. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, but there's a lot of stuff like that. They're kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, which is very similar to the, the, um, the aliens. And, uh, a lot of times if you look at the, um, the particular image of them, they're smaller. They, uh, are not like anatomically they're they don't look like they were born of a mammal you know they mm-hmm. don't have you know navels or nipples or <laughs> even sexual organs or anything like that and and even their heads look too big for their bodies right and so they're <coughs> kind of disproportionate in a lot of ways <coughs> like theory uh, folk that we've talked about over the years have been like that too now, what I did was I looked at um, the case studies of people that claim to have seen aliens in um, the United States and in the Soviet Union up until the fall of the Soviet Union. And that information is coming out, but it was very hard to get because they kept a very close lid on that kind of stuff up until the fall of the Soviet Union. So... Even now, the information is a little far between, and um, the famous Jacques Vallée um, wrote a really good book on um, the Soviet Union when mm-hmm. he went there in the late 80s and um, interviewed people. And if you just hear the descriptions that people have of um, encountering alien beings in the Soviet Union, they look nothing like the gray aliens that we see over here. Right. They were... Usually they were hairy, they were covered in hair, they were um, kind of like um, animal-like, they had no, sometimes they had no heads, um, and I was looking at the, the, the description of like several eyes and different things, and the descriptions of them matched a lot of the nature spirits that people saw the century before, like the... Um, the Russian Damovoy, which is the Greek version of a, I mean, the Russian version of a um, kind of like a brownie or a helpful spirit or something like that. Right. And then the Soviets would um, see these things and they would go out and they would give them offerings of food and things like that. And they said if they don't give them offerings, they come back and they attack them. And that comes right from fairy realm. Yeah, from the, the from same, the, the faithful. Yeah, the faith folk, it's, it's the same thing like that. And, and of course, we have the, the grays. They're somewhat similar, but they're just very, they look very technologically advanced with, with the grays, of course, because people are on like laboratory tables and always weird things around and all that kind of stuff like that. And my theory on what the gray aliens are is that they're a type of elemental. Now, if you think about the elementals, they come in four different types. Right. Earth, air, Earth, fire, and water. water. water yeah. And these things, the grays, didn't really start to show up on scene until we started splitting the atom. Mm-hmm. And the big thing that happened was once we dropped the bomb, the, the nuclear bombs, 
at first, nothing really happened too much with, with it. But then as we started testing in Bikini Atoll and developed the H-bombs and we had the arms race going on, all of a sudden now, as this was going on, all of a sudden we have both an increase of UFOs and an increase in um, seeing the graves. Right. And the next thing you know, everything either starts looking like either the grays or something similar to that, like those big mantis-like beings that kind of like are six feet tall or whatever like that, that kind of hover over the grays, almost like an overseer or something like that. My thing is that they do pretty much the same thing that all the other nature spirits have done that have harmed us. They just look different. And they are attracted to a different element, and that different element is um, nuclear power. And I think that it's almost like they're like almost like a bastardized form of an elemental that came once we learned how to split the atom, and um, once we started developing that. And that's kind of my my theory on it is that once we went to the nuclear age, something either upgraded or was created through the um the atomic age and that's the um the gray and i don't believe that they are um extraterrestrial i've never thought of those as being like um linear from from another planet mm-hmm. i always think of them as being some sort of interdimensional travelers that somehow come from you know they live they exist on another plane and go back and forth like everything else kind of does well, or they somehow have time warp, or they somehow can warp. No, I know later on we're going to get into it because you do cover it some in the book. But um, you know when mm-hmm. you talk about how um, manifestation, physical manifestations from thought forms and things like that, you know, there's a lot yeah. of uh, there's a lot of talk. You know, people that have alien abductions or fey abductions. There's a lot of people that take say DMT or one of those types of drugs that have very yeah. similar encounters to that do you yep. think all that may be tied together uh that's a um it's always a possibility with it but um on the other hand with it a lot of times the people that have those experiences are either children or they're um people who have never really experimented with anything like that so it's kind of hard to it's, it's kind of hard to stay with it because mm-hmm. i know like people that take things like like dmt and that they have those weird experiences, but the weird thing about it is that these, these people have physical things that happen to them. Right. Like they have like, like implants and um, things like that. And I do believe that nature spirits a lot of times left things when they, um, when, whenever they were involved as well, they were just a lot more crude than, than what we see now. I had the fortune, one of my, a very good friend of mine, um, has had a direct encounter with the Greys, and uh, he was. Um, and I interviewed him in the book, and I've I've actually known him for a, a long time. I know him personally, and he was telling. And I was asking him about his first encounter with um with with the Greys, and he said, you know, he was outside and he saw um come some of them come out of the woods, and they were staring at him. Right. And he saw them there, and I said, well, did they just walk away? How did they do it? He said, no, they faded away. And I said, well, 
that makes perfect sense if they just fade away that they're like, you know, nature spirits and bound by energy or whatever like that, Mm -hmm. you know? And because that's, um, because to me, like there, there, there's that theory and Roswell really amplified this is that they're actually physical beings from a physical planet like that. And I really don't think that's the case with it. I really don't. I think that there's there's something more too. And in fact, I think that the the reason why they have the big heads and the black eyes it's it's either a helmet that they wear or our brains manifest the helmet onto them. Like like they they're like a particular like energy type of thing, and we can't form the gaps, so we put things on them. Like if it's a nature spirit, we put wings on them or whatever like that. And now like you know our brains put like helmets on them or something like that or that's how they choose to look towards us so through like that through your research did you find any correlation that with the roswell crash that there were aliens there or was it just a, a ufo or a weather balloon i believe it was something totally mundane i really do i think it was just there was something very common because if you read with the, the Roswell reports, you don't have any first-person accounts, for right. one thing. It's always like the son of somebody who was there or somebody who knew somebody who was there or, or something like that. And when it first came out, there was um, very little, if anything, that was really saying about it as being alien beings right. or anything exactly. like that. I don't think there was so anything I, don't think there were were any either. In fact, there was one case where there was this. I write about about this guy who claimed that he had a picture of an alien from Roswell, and it was a mummified two year old from a, in a museum. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and and I don't know how the heck you mummify a two year old to play in a museum, but that's another point. Uh, but just how um, it was not an alien, and I really don't think that it was like the way I look at it. When I was like. Most of the things I know I'm going to get a lot of like slack for, for my belief with this, but a lot of the things that were going on in the sky in the 1950s, I think were military experiments for the cold war. I I I know that. Yeah. I don't think you're crazy. I think there's a lot. That's probably the majority of it. Yep. I think a lot of it was, was that kind of stuff like that. And of course they didn't tell anybody because it's top secret, but they had to test it. Right, yeah. And even now, like, um, I have a view. I'm I'm about maybe 10 miles away from Dulles Airport. And from my balcony, I can look out. I can sit on my balcony. I can watch the plane flying and landing in the Dulles Airport. Mm-hmm. And every so often, I'll see something come out there, and I'll go, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, like, really have no clue what it actually is like that, the way it looks and everything like that. And I, But I've never thought of it as being an alien spacecraft. I've thought of it as being something that either I'm not familiar with or something one of the 50 million military bases around here right, is fooling yeah. around with. You know, so I tend to, you know, rule that, that, that stuff out with, um, with, with that. Now, that's not to say that, you know, there might be something weird going on. I just think that like, like they even said, like most of that stuff is, um, you know, is, is being made or whatever, like the was a project of the cold war. And now, of course, we have these new conflicts going on with Russia and 
we're probably going to see more of this stuff going on because Lord knows what we're, what we're building now. Mm-hmm. So that's a, um, I think that's a, a, a big part of it. So the alien and cars themselves like that is, and I don't think that I've ever really heard too much of directly connecting the grays with an actual spaceship either. Right. And so okay. it's kind of an assumption that the two of them go together. Right. Like, like most of the time, like, the spaceships are so far away like that you never see the occupants of them, except for maybe like the the Bonnie and Betty case in 1961, which um, where the the couple in Maine, I believe, were abducted mm-hmm. and all that stuff and everything. And that's kind of one that's interesting because they didn't see, see um, gray aliens. They saw something that looked different like that, but they did right. see a ship come down. But it wasn't like the classic grays that we see now like everywhere like that right so it's really kind of hard to um to, to, to kind of say with that and i think uh, that their, but, uh, their case was tied uh, in. i think their case is a, a really unique case anyway you know they were yeah. uh, they were uh, on a road an interracial couple yeah. back in a time when that wasn't popular i think the last thing they wanted to do Ooh. was was to call attention exactly. to themselves. Yeah. so yeah that that was that whole case is a little different to me yeah yeah so there were like some some weird things about that, and not only that, but Barney Hill was very much into the civil rights movement mm-hmm. too, and he was a big forefront forerunner for that kind of stuff. And they had though both of both those two had very interesting lives and didn't need the popularity or anything like that of being abductees, right? You know, so so it does make it kind of um, um interesting like that and. Kind of like something that makes it a little bit more difficult to put into the um, into into the research with it. But what I do know is that um, they weren't grays that that visited them. It was apparently it was it was something else. Right. So it could be that one percent or whatever like that that we just don't know what the heck they are. That was in Project Blue Book because there was that small handful of things where we're just kind of like they do seem to defy physics or whatever like that too you know like that so there's always kind of that possibility with it as well although most of it's probably man-made with it mm-hmm. but i I just can't see the correlation between the grays and um those things and and the other thing is about the the grays themselves like proportionately they make no sense they would tip over with those right. really big heads over their bodies true uh, physically they can't reproduce obviously um, and, uh, they're not built to be physical beings like that. Like they're kind of like, unless they're like mechanical drones or something weird like that, whatever, like that, they, they, they don't have a normal, they don't even have gender. Mm-hmm. So they're different like that. So to me, they just don't fit into, um, any sort of like, um, alien um species like that they fit more into the um the fairy folk or elementals or whatever that mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is with it so that's kind of where i i see that but they play the same game though you know they're just as elusive you know they um they they draw enough attention just to get interested in them then like like how many times it's like oh they're gonna return they said they'll return and then they never return on that night or day or whatever like that. And that, and they they do the same types of things that everything else does. They get 
they give just enough information to get us really curious about something. And then they pull it all back and leave us looking completely idiotic mm-hmm. like that. It's that weird trickster element that all these things seem to have and as uh, they're running thread with it. And that's basically how like, you're tying it all together with the trickster and the pranksters all being supernatural or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's the, the biggest thing I, I have with tying it all together is they have a trickster element to them, meaning like I, I have it. Um, I have six um, points to it in in, um, in in Project Rabbit Hole where I say like what they what they do with it. Um, let me just look that up real quick here with it. Um, yeah, all members of the supernatural family related and have the same core elements. Right. Um, and then they act on deception, trickery, lying, and deceit. Smarter, more advanced than we are, will always be part of our culture. They play some sort of a game, and we're in the middle of it. Um, and then they will eventually harm us as, become, as we become more engrossed in them and strike when we least expect it. So that's, that's really okay. how I look at it. And every one of these, um, these beings seem to have that particular type of element that's associated with them like that. Like a lot of times where people have experiences with them, their lives don't get better. Their lives get a lot worse, right. for example, with it. Um, you see that with, with, with all of them. Once people start to have direct encounters with them, their lives seem to go downhill one way or another. And especially with the, the mediums and the people that become like big forerunners in this stuff, they usually end up dying as, um, financially strapped alcoholics or kind of crazy or something like that um, with it. And they end up, um, their lives just become like really, really bad down the, down the road. And is this you why you stopped? Oh, I'm sorry. It... That's one of the reasons why I, I did stop because I, I just felt like I, I was just, I, I ended up developing a, an autoimmune disease. Right that people don't get. Usually people get that when they're like 15 or 16. Mine hit at 37 people out of the blue. Wow. And I was in the hospital at least once a year, every year um, with this until finally I had to have a surgery and have part of my colon removed for it. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at research with that and I, other people that were involved in that, this kind of stuff have had the same thing happen to them. And I just said, well, with this, you can, you always have to look at a coincidence because there's never been like a big sociological study that parallels, you know, people involved in the paranormal, supernaturally occult with ailments and disease and misfortune or whatever like that. You're not going to see that, but I see the patterns with it, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, um, problems with loved ones finances and sometimes just plain luck right and if you these things a lot of times when people see these things at least in folklore if you see particular ones it says if you see these encounter these beings misfortune will accompany you after seeing them they're bad omens and that's what folklore tells us and that's what we see a lot of times now with people who have encounters with this stuff. So in with Project Rabbit Hold, are you trying to give a, the paranormal, the average paranormal investigator a uh, tool to utilize to kind of like have warning signs or something like that? 
basically what I'm trying to get the paranormal investigator to do to the starters is to ask themselves, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. It's the first part about it like that. And that's the first question is, why are you doing this? And give yourself, you know, and give, give themselves an honest answer like that. Is it because you're curious? Okay, fair enough. You're curious. You want to help people? Um, did you have experience yourself that you want to get, you know, answers for? What is the reason why you're doing it is mm-hmm. for starters. And then ask yourself like, well, how do you approach this? Do you approach it through a set of skepticism? Because for me personally, I think anybody who's spending every single weekend investigating the paranormal and claiming they're a skeptic, they're not a skeptic. Yeah. They just haven't found what they're looking for yet. Okay. A real bona fide skeptic would have no interest in this whatsoever. Okay. You know, that's my opinion on it. Like, I know people who are like that. Like, I don't believe in any of that stuff, and they never give it a second thought. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something in the mind of a paranormal investigator who's a skeptic that keeps them going back to this stuff. And they kind of have to ask themselves what's in them for them to, to, to kind of do that with it. And the, and the other thing is, is like um, caution and respect right. for this, you know, and, and that's where it's, it gets difficult because if you don't know what the heck it is, how are you supposed to have caution from it and how are you supposed to respect it? You know, um, I think that's one of the problems that people um, have with this stuff is they don't know how to approach it. Like how um, I wrote that I always gave non-human entity training on how to recognize if an entity is not a ghost and it could be something else. And I gave really intense training sessions to that to my guys mm-hmm. when, um, when I was leading up my group. And a lot of them took it really seriously, and a lot of them did not. Okay. And... And I, and I wrote how one woman in my group did not take it seriously. And whenever somebody finished, I always gave them something at the end. And um, I gave her a little um, voodoo doll, I guess, from New Orleans on a little uh, wooden block. Right. And she called me up that night absolutely terrified because when she got home, she put that in her cupboard because it had feathers on it. And she had a cat. She put it up in her cupboard and she went back and fell asleep on the couch when she woke up. It was sitting on the coffee table right in front of her. Wow. And he was shaken. She was so shaken up by that. And then I just said, like, you know, sometimes when you make fun of these things, they don't like it and they will let you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe now, you know, you'll, yeah. <laughs> maybe now, like, you know, it'll, it'll kind of, kind of change a little bit like that. And, and, um, I've actually had, um, other things like that happen and, and the biggest thing with, with these, these, a lot of these beings is that when you mock them, they will retaliate when you, when you mock, when you mock them. Mm-hmm. And some paranormal investigators will hear them and they'll go, well, I want to see what happens. So I'm just going right. to go in and mock yeah. it. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'll see that stuff. And just for the record, that's not what I'm suggesting. No. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, th- those kinds of things with it. So, I guess what, what I want the panel investigator to do is, A, expand their mind to realize that if, these, if there is a realm of supernatural beings that exist, 
And chances are, at least through my research and my case studies and everything, there there are these things. Uh, don't make assumptions that these things are harmless mm-hmm. is the first thing about it. The second thing about it is um, don't make assumptions that you are superior to that, you know, right, like yeah. by trying to make it be fixed or, you know, or laughing at it or mocking it or whatever, whatever like that with it. And three would be um, try to figure out what it actually is instead of making an assumption of what it is like, like that. And I, and I think that's very important because in, in my experience, a lot of people, they, they either, they say it's either a ghost right. or demon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, right. There's like nothing, right. nothing else like it. You know, the demon, very, you know, to the, the demon yeah. thing came around because of one particular television show, an individual, I think. And, uh, yeah. but the problem is, is he's extremely popular, extremely well liked and, that's how the public kind of grows with that. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's where they break yeah. down the different types of haunts. Now you got your intelligence, mm-hmm. your residual, yeah. the, the demon one, the poltergeist, the portals. Um, well, the truth of the matter is, is that all that stuff was broken down centuries ago. Mm-hmm. The Brits had that all broken down during like the um, Elizabethan era. They were figuring all that stuff out. Because they they even kind of understood like you know the things that happened in the Tower of London were residuals, because people that witnessed them knew like they always did the same thing over and over again, right? And they reenacted a particular event like that, and opposed to the intelligent ones, and they never really considered them to be like you know ghosts per se, you know the the intelligent ones. Where that was a big battle between, of course, the Catholics and the Protestants and the church and all that kind of stuff like that. And it all kind of like, they, they kind of figured this stuff out back then. They just didn't, they just kind of called them different things, so to, so mm-hmm. to speak with it. So there's nothing really that new about what we know. If you look at my, I think it's chapter four. Right, yeah. I have in the fifth. Um you you have that you have you know like everything you know I, I go over everything and how we we managed to believe the stuff that we believe exactly you started all the way from Egypt and Mesopotamia with the history yeah. way back then yeah. and then you talk yeah. about how the Greeks had their mythology and then the Romans after they conquered them took some of their mythology and then made it their own yeah. and then you go into Christianity and then the how the Catholic theology went into four different categories. And stuff. Yeah, I, I really liked how you broke all that down in your book. There, I broke it down like I did, basically did two parts, and one was like from um, the ancient world up until um, the Nazis, right before the Nazis right. and um, the UFO technology, and then I went from like World War Two mm-hmm. on to the present, the present day, and how World War Two was really the catalyst that changed everything. Right. Well, the and, whole thing with it because of nuclear power. People mm-hmm. don't really realize what a big impact that, that was for our mentality, the changes in our mentality with this stuff. And, so, yeah, and how, how, important that, how important that is. Well, unless you guys have yeah. anything on that, I was going to ask him how now that he's kind of brought, kind of segued right, into yeah. that. Where, um, tell us about Keck and Pepe and the other kind of thought and conscious manifestations. 
Okay, I didn't quite get that. <laughs> oh. Ty, so now that you kind of segued into uh, after World War II, I was going to have you tell us a little bit about Pepe and Keck and kind of the oh, other sure. co- conscious manifestations. Sure. Um, yeah, this is like, this is one of the things that might, you know, lose a lot of um, paranormal investigators because I noticed a lot of um, paranormal investigators are, they're either scared of the occult or they only follow Wicca and don't go into like the other realms of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really go into a lot of, a lot of different things with, with this kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things about um, when you get into witchcraft and magic and all that kind of stuff like that is casting spells and thoughts versus manifestation. Like if you, a lot of what they do is they kind of like visualize and do a spell. And when they visualize and do it, um, if they're strong enough, they believe that, you know, whatever it is that they're doing will, will manifest like that. It's kind of like it exists first in the astral world and then it exists in the physical world kind of thing. And one of the most amazing things that I saw was um, the last election, 2016, because as we all know, you know, most people were absolutely convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to win. They gave her a 98.5% chance of winning the election right. and that, and Donald Trump had absolutely no chance whatsoever to, to win the election. Now at the time with that, I was watching um, the 4chan board and the 4chan is very interesting because the board that has no restrictions on it whatsoever like I always say, like, you know, if you go on 4chan and you go into poll, the politically incorrect section, mm-hmm. you want to take a shower afterwards. <laughs> you just need to shower afterwards because it's just so vile when you get in those places. And so, but um, I wanted to do the research on, on memes with that. And uh, there's a type of magic that's called chaos magic. And you use what's called like a sigil, which is a, representation of something it could be like a very small symbol or something like that and the point with the sigil is is for somebody to see that and give emotion into it you know, if you give emotion to it you kind of increase the spell so to speak um or the um the way that or the ritual or whatever like that what they started doing was they started they they did that with these frog memes and somebody was doing it through an experiment. And what they were doing was they were just saying, like, watch what we're going to do with this. We're going to put this frog out there and it's going to. They, they were even saying, like, they wanted to do it basically to hurt Hillary Clinton with this. And it started at first as just like, you know, oh, it's just a picture of a dumb frog, whatever, like that. Now, if you start watching, what started happening was. She started getting sick. She started passing out. She got chucked into that SUV like a big thing of kibble. Um, she started coughing a lot. She just started getting really, really sick. And he was getting energized mm-hmm. with everything. And what was happening was is that people on these message boards were producing these images that were showing Trump as winning the election, Hillary as being the ultimate loser, like that. And then, and I know this is really sounds really, really weird, 
But unfortunately, what they do is they do numerical sequences. And everybody was pretty skeptical about this stuff at first, like, yeah, who the hell knows, whatever. And the numerical sequences means that the more numbers are at the end of a, um eight-digit code, which every 4chan post gets randomly, would indicate what they call a check or a get, which kind of like means it increases the prediction that something will happen. For example, if you have a, a post and the number is like one three four five eight 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 eight, they would be like, "Oh wow, this is like you know really something like that." Like a four eights, and they would like take that a lot more seriously. And so what ended up happening was one person typed up, um, they put up a picture of Pepe the Frog, and one message, and all it said was Trump will win, and they posted that. The digits were seven 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 seven, and the chances of that happening were so phenomenal that it blew everybody's minds. And that's how the people on Fortune started saying, "Like he's going to win." And then they got energized and they started really saying that meme around like that. And lo and behold, we see what happened was that he won the election and um, she lost drastically, and somehow. This ended up becoming linked to an Egyptian frog deity, which is really how how strange this started happening because the Pepe is just a frog, a picture of a frog, but Kek was an Egyptian frog god that brought chaos into light. He was like a chaos god. And strange things started to pop up on the internet. Like um, there was a... Um, a record that showed up from the 80s that was called Satellite by an Italian band called Pepe, and it had a picture of a frog with a magic wand on the record. Mm-hmm. This is a 45 LP mm. from like the 80s, and that, and um, the band was called Pepe, which stood for Point Emerging Probability Entering. And they saw that as part of the prophecy of, of Keck, like that. And all these weird things started coming together that were associated with um, Donald Trump and Pepe in the election. And they just saw that as a me- the memetics being used as a way to influence the election and get Donald Trump to win, almost like through a form of witchcraft, because everybody expected him to lose. And then right after this, all this stuff started coming up, he won, and he didn't win by a little bit, let's face it. Um, and um, he um, won, and she just basically was, like, deteriorating, like, yeah. up, up to the election like that. And they're saying that they did that through a massive method of, um, of using memetics with the occult to do kind of like a witchcraft kind of thing with it. It can actually kind of see that happening in a way like that with the way the things, everything started to kind of work with um, the candidates and all that stuff. And the really weird part about it was there was one point where um, Hillary Clinton was speaking at one of her conventions or like that, and she was talking about white supremacy or something like that. And when she did, somebody in the audience yelled out Pepe and screamed it out. And that's where it all just seemed to start to happen because after that was when she started to deteriorate like that. It was almost like yelling out that Pepe was like the 
curse that went on her like that. And it just started happening like that from, from there. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain it the way I explained it, but I kind of laid it out in the, in the book about how the election went from there with right. that stuff. And it was just really kind of interesting to see how that um, manifested because now you have a new cult formed as a result of this. There's actually something called the cult of Keck or the frog cult that came out. And it's almost like Keck is the god. Um, the Pepe is the symbol of God and Trump is the prophet. And it all kind of falls together like that. And people are actually believing this to be almost like a new bona fide type of a, of a um, religious cult. It's weird and creepy and yet fascinating at the same time because of the way the coincidences fell together with it there, between a... the record and the um, between the record and the um, the numbers and all the other stuff that that kind of fell together with it. So. Now, I, I, I did some further research on this, and I found out that there's another band that was called Pepe California. And at the time I was looking at this, people on the, the 4chan board were talking about how they kept going, like, California's an earthquake, California's an earthquake, you know, but they wanted, like, to have a big, huge one to fly to the sea because they hate California, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, it was so weird because on the front of that, that record, the number was 1007 and California did get hit by an earthquake on the, on um, October um, 7th of that year wow. of last of this year. And I was kind of blown away by that because I put that in the book and I published it long before that October 7th. I remember and you actually, actually like, messaged me about yeah. that. You're like, turn to this yeah. page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like something happened here, man. Like that. And, and again, the, the record was called Pepe. So it's these weird, weird things like that. And what these people actually think is that, um, you know, the frog God is manifesting. And it's not that the frog is going to make things better. It's that they, these people are kind of like nihilists. They hate everything so much that they feel like Donald Trump is like a reset button. And that um, tech is just a complete chaos that they want in the world. Because everything is just so chaotic that um, we want to bring on the chaos. And let's face it, there's a lot of chaos happening now in the world. And, yeah. you know, and, and Trump's associated with a lot of it. And one way or another like that, it's, it is kind of connecting with it. Well, so, I'm, I'm really big. And I know these guys look at me like I'm nuts sometimes when, nuts. I, when I talk about um, yeah. I, I'm I'm really big into yeah. um you know, conscious manifestation, thought forms. Um, I almost think that, you know, sometimes we go um, into a, you know, you know what a psychomantium is, but you know, and you, you go in well, to an investigation and you're, and you're sitting in this dark room and you're staring off into space and you're asking these mm -hmm. questions in an EVP session, you're almost creating the setting for that thought, you know, that thought form creation. Yeah. So yeah. My, my question is, is, I mean, you actually talk about some other thought form things there, but how do you, how do you tie that in with your book? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, there's a lot of things. Like if you look at the syllabus experiment that happened, I think in the 60s, where um, this group of um, scientists and psychics got together and actually created um, a being named Philip completely out of the blue. It's, Philip never existed. And they contacted him. 
like they actually got panel activity from this being that they, they thought was that they created as Philip. And that concept comes from Topa, which is basically like if you believe in something enough, it'll manifest like that. And that happens on the on the astral level as well, like that. And the Buddhists have talked about that for a really long time, is that it's thought manifestation and um occultists know that too. Like if you um that's where you could they actually can um almost create an artificial entity to um that they can create to send out to um either do their beating or even attack people or whatever like that. The question is is whether or not they created something that from from that, from the energy, or if they inadvertently summoned sent out a call and something answered the call and then went and is is kind of doing the bidding with it like that. Gotcha. So I know. You, you, you have a thought like that. Yeah. And and I, you may have but just just said it. I, I was kind of got sidetracked there for a second. The um, there was that that researcher that went and she met with the Buddhist monks and they talked her, told her how to manifest something. And then she, I can't remember her name, and she manifested it. And then she almost couldn't get rid of it because it had became so powerful at that point yeah. in time. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that can actually that can actually happen like that. So yeah, so they they. they a lot of times they don't just come out of vacuums like that, you know, things, uh, things can actually kind of happen like that with it. And that's where, um, a lot of the stuff comes up with occultism with it. Like people were able to, like when they actually had a cult lodges back in the twenties, people were able to focus their anger so much. They could actually produce an entity from the anger like that. If they, if they did it the right way. And, um, Monks are actually able to do that with feelings and stuff like that too, well, you and know, that stuff. And so, there's actually a lot of science behind. You know, when you get into, you know, what the government projects have done as far as uh, remote viewing, and and, and there's actually mm-hmm. um, there was actually a, a a study did that the control was more times than not it wasn't great, but somebody could, you know, like. Stare, I don't know what the exact thing was. They could stare at the back of somebody's head, make their hair, you know, and that's actually a, a real science behind that sort of thing. So you, when you get, like in the case of your Pepe or Keck or that sort of thing, when you get nowadays in the new technology, and I think that's kind of where you were going in the book about how to be careful whenever you get yeah. millions of people because now we have the Internet and you get a meme going around and you get all this energy behind yeah. it and everything gets focused, then I think it can grow and manifest out of control. You have to look at it this way, like this. A lot of times, the way that somebody would hex somebody in the old days is they would put a symbol on a piece of paper, douse it with herbs or whatever they would put on it, and then they would throw it into their yard. So somebody would like come across it and see it, and they would freak out because they knew it was a hex. So, but the the point is, is that they would freak out and put emotion into that right. and kind of set the ball rolling. Now you have um, a very offensive meme that millions of people are seeing and a lot of times they get quote-unquote triggered as a knee-jerk reaction. They're feeding the power into that. And it's the same concept, only it's virtual. Right. That's kind of what I'm trying to, like, you know, a- explain from that. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if there's, like, you know, the, the frog god or whatever it is like that. But what matters is that it's actually a way that 
things are being created by the internet and they're manifesting. The Epstein killed himself as a pro- as an example of that. People started posting tons and tons of memes that Epstein didn't kill himself, and then, boom, the ABC News thing came that they covered the whole thing up. And um, the other thing was the doctor came out and said, like, no, the the body didn't look like it was a suicide. Right. It's almost like the memes manifested the um, the truth to come out with that, you know, with it. and that wouldn't have happened without the memes. So you can look at it from a almost like a psychological point of view with it too. But the memes did manifest a reality that came out with that stuff, with it. That's where memetics gets really interesting with it, like that. So the thought of it is like that now is that if you have like a particular um, symbol associated with something demonic and you send that to like a million people like that, can it actually do something? Well, I think it did in the case of Slenderman. Yeah, like in the case of Slenderman, like that. Yeah, like that. Because if 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 they if they did actually see the Slenderman, that was definitely a tulpa, right? You know, so that's that's kind of where that um that 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 boils down to with it. And as a result of that, there are new things that are starting to manifest now because we're in a different age with it. You know, uh, people have believed for thousands of years. You know that. Um, you know, there was a, a guy that walked on earth that was half God or that was God and died and was resurrected. And then he he ascended and um, we're all going to go to heaven when we die. And yet nowadays I can say like, well, you know, the symbol of a frog is influencing a lot of people and it's causing a lot of chaos with it. And people are like, what? <laughs> you know, right. It's like. It's like, yeah, well, you have one thing that's, you don't have any basis on the, 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 the introduction of Christianity either, other than within the scriptures. So, you know, it's kind of like the, it's kind of similar to that with it, I guess, you know. So, but um, we're creating our new myths now. Right. And that's what I find interesting because with the new myths do come the new God. Uh, I don't want to say the new gods, but these new um, aspects of what you can actually call a God in a way, or old things could be coming new again like that too, you know, and if you haven't seen it yet, there are a lot of people that are turning to the old gods again and they're worshiping them again with that. That's becoming a really big thing. And who's to say that, you know, they're not real like that just because, you know, we haven't worked within 2000 years. There was a time where Zeus was very real to the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what that's what I think is kind of interesting with it. If it was real to people then, if people start worshiping it again, would it be real to them now? It gets on a big philosophical level, right, yeah. <laughs> you know. Definitely with it now. Yeah, but okay, go on. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say I know that there's some stuff in the book that you didn't want to cover. I know, or that you that wasn't in the book that you want to cover. I know one of them was probably that uh, California earthquake thing, but is there anything else in the book that you want to take note of that, you know, and not to give the book away, of course, because we want people to go read it as well, but is there anything else in the book that you want to kind of hit on? Well, one of the things I, I just want to mention about the book is that it's, I think it's the most modern book on the supernatural that's out there right now. Because I go over things, a lot of the books, like, they, they kind of, like, don't go over, like, the real modern contemporary things happening. 
And I'm going over the most modern stuff that we actually have right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to keep it as up to date as possible with things like um, internet streaming rituals that are happening now online, the Charlie Charlie Challenge, for example. Right. Uh, those those kinds of things like that. Um, the Ouija board challenges. Uh, there's a lot of things that people are doing now that are coming from other parts of the world that we've never even heard of that people are like posting on the internet now and they're doing this stuff and they're doing it just to get likes and subscriptions. Right. That's the reason why they're doing it like that. Well, and it's like, I got this creepy box from, um, from an old um, witch on the occult and it's covered in candle wax and it smells kind of funny. But if I get 5,000 likes, I'll open it. You know, it's uh, those, those kinds of things that are going on like that. And uh, I just see how we're going over um, uncharted territory with it. Uh-huh. I go over CERN and how um, even like how like quantum physics is involved in this stuff and um, um, altered other dimensional concepts. And and everything. I'm no scientist, but I try to break it down as much as I can about how um, alternate universes may be something that's happening with us now, and how CERN is affecting that, and a whole bunch of fun stuff like that. So it's it's a book where people are going to either be really really fascinated with it, or they're going to be like, "This is really really weird." But then if they look at my notes in my um, citations, everything. It's like I didn't make any of this stuff up. Right. This all comes from research with it, like that. Even the whole um, Pepe the Frog thing, as as odd as that sounds, I didn't make that up. That came from um, that came specifically from Chaos Magic Board, the Mimetics, and all that kind of stuff, like that, and the direct influence on um, how it does appear if you really look at the whole thing how it may even have, have affected the election and how big that would be if it did you, like that. You know, I know that you know, it would be the first time somebody used the occult to influence um, a country or a foreign leader. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Look at the, uh, even the Nazis and, and their stuff. And I know you cover that too. And I, and I agree with you as far as yeah. we have, um, you know, you have in these, these guys that they create up a little paranormal channel and they go out, like you said, and they, and they and yeah. they do all this sort of stuff and 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 I think that's kind of to me the point of your book is kind of like a warning almost and and I'll let right. you kind of cover that but you know I I, I disagree yeah. with that too because you know if it say it is a demon or it is a jinn or it is one of these things those things uh, do prey on the weak and if you have someone that is weak of mind because they're not knowledgeable in what's going on there they have other things going on they're worried about getting those likes they have all these other things that are eating at them that makes them weak in the mind and. And I think they're potentially mm-hmm. getting into something that they don't need to be getting into. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's like that. Like one of the places, even when I was an active investigator, I didn't go to prisons or insane asylums or places like that. And I just felt like those places had terrible, terrible vibes to them. And I know now that in Islam, at least, abandoned places like that are havens for jinn. They love abandoned places like that. And somebody can very easily go into a place that's been abandoned for like 30 years, go in there, act goofy, or try to invite something up, and it could be 
a dormant gin, or it could be something something else like that. That's there. That that um, is there. And now you made it angry, <laughs> you know. Right. So so now where do you where do you kind of go from there? And and isn't it odd how in every seems like every single place you go to, it can be a prison, it can be like an old mill, it can be a insane asylum. There's always a little girl running around. Yeah. It's like every case I hear, it's like, oh, there's a little, little girl there. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what is it with all these little girls? It's like, God hate little girls or something. I mean, why are there so many of them, you know, um, that, that haunt places? And if you look at other cultures, again, there are a ton of different types of entities that show up as little girls. There's one in India. There's one in Mexico. There's one in Ireland. They're all different ones like that, and they're bad, bad omens, and they show up manifesting as little girls. So that's where you take it as the trickster element. Maybe it's a gen that's yeah, trying to do Yeah, it's a trickster that. element. It's something else. And what's the most vulnerable thing you can think of? A little like five-year-old girl who's stuck in a prison. Right. You know, something like that. So... Yeah, in fact, um, I I kind of question child spirits to begin with, you know, because you don't come across like baby spirits, you know, but you come across a lot of like child spirits, right? Like that. So, so um, I, I, I question that to, to I begin have, with. Yeah, I have trouble with that too because in if you take, and I have to be careful because I try to look at this objectively, but if you take yeah. a faith into consideration. Why would a child be abandoned to Rome? Yeah. And yeah, ex- exactly. And not only that, but if you look at the bubonic plague and a lot of all the plagues that have happened over the years like that, there should be millions and millions and millions of child spirits. Mm-hmm. And they're not. You know, they're not. You only hear of, like, them in really a haunted um, area. In the creepiest like Even places. Well, with you, yeah. with you, Mike, talking about the different religions and everything, and with Al's mm-hmm. book, he has it to where it goes from Christianity to Catholicism to Islam to Buddhism. So I know you're talking about the jinn, and that's an Islamic jinn that you're referring to, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, well yeah, that's but where, if you take the – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'll let you – it's your book. I'll let you describe that. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to say about that is um, – Jinn existed long before the Islamic religion manifested. Okay. They're just very powerful um, spirits that live in another dimension oh, like that. Okay. So if you take the religious element out of it and just look at them as it is, like they were like, they could have been like the gods of the ancient world. They could be a lot of other things like that, but they're just one particular thing. It just so happens that the Muslims call them, Jin and have them in the Quran in a particular way, but okay. if you look at this, their behavior and the way they act and what they do, opposed to the religious connotations with it, they look different. They're not demons because a they born, they die, they reproduce, they have gender, they have society, they even have government <clears throat> like that. So, and they also have a lot of them do um, have religion as well. Okay. Like that, they're not all they're not all um, Muslim 
like that. They have different different things like that. They're kind of like us, but they are at a separate dimension. They um, live a lot longer and have a whole different um, uh, makeup, I guess you can say, with it is is how I would um, how how I would um, look at it like that. Like, so yeah, that's that's how I see them as. Okay. that's that's pretty much it. More of a secular definition, I guess. Okay, so you're you're saying that they're more on a uh, different plane of existence, but they can jump into ours and be the trickster. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's what I was yeah. going to say. I, the, the yeah, I think that the Muslim religion is what most readily identifies with it, but it mm-hmm. does cross religions, it does cross cultures, um, as far as yeah. what what yeah. they're capable of. And uh, there's a yeah. little segue for maybe we should do a show on yeah, education. Yeah, for exactly for the gen. Yeah, because I'm I'm over here just learning about that and reading Al's book. Well, one of the things about it is, is that at least in my area in um, Virginia, we have a very increased Muslim population here because of the diplomats and the embassies and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I have, um, I had um, last year I had Muslims living right across the hall from me and that a lot of them live in my building. And when I did a haunted inn years ago, I was interviewing the staff and I interviewed a Muslim um, girl and she was very young with people like um, 18 or 19. And she just said like, I don't know why you think these are spirits and dead people. It's just gin. And that's what it is. It's gin. Right. And I said, well, but I wasn't like very adept about that stuff at the time. Now and I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, people, when they die, they go to heaven or hell or wherever they're destined to go to. They don't hang around here. The gin pretend to be people. That's all it is. And I thought to myself, like, at, at, at first I was kind of like, ha. Ah. And then I just thought to myself, like, yeah, but this is a very established belief system as well. They, the way we go, like, what's a gin? They're kind of like the same way with, like, well, what's a ghost? You know? Okay. It, it's just like how it, how, how it is like that. Um, you know, God doesn't allow people, or God doesn't have people like walk on this earth for their penance or whatever they're doing like that by haunting for a limited amount of time or whatever, you know, they just go where they are supposed to go I, with it. I think and so. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I think I told you, Al, and, and I, um, I have a good friend that's as Muslim faith and, and I was asking him when I was doing some research and he's like, you need to talk to my cousin. Or, or my mom, and then I try to talk to either one of them, ask them a question. They left the room, would not, would not even, wouldn't even talk about. Wouldn't Jen? even let me say that in front of them. Yeah, they really? were so their their belief in it is so strong, and they're so terrified that they just leave the room. And they're very yeah. devout Muslim, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty crazy. I was like, holy cow, maybe I shouldn't have crossed that bridge. I have a. Um... I have a, a close friend of mine who's um, Iranian, and he's an ex-Muslim. And when I told him I was writing this book, he was kind of like a little bit hesitant with with it, like that, like you sure you want to do this and uh, that kind of stuff. And I I said to him, I said, "Well, what do you know about jinn?" And all he said was, "The jinn will blank you up," <laughs> <laughs> and that's all he would say. And I wanted to quote that in the book, like that, but I didn't want to put the direct quote like that. And that's that's all he said about it. He's like, that's all you have to know about the gin. It just left it at that, like that. And so um, there's that, that kind of an idea like that. But you think about it, though. If you, um, if you like, went to the average paranormal investigator and said, 
you know, you see that um, big house up there. It's haunted. It has five ghosts in it. Do you want to investigate it? They're probably like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Now, if you ask them, you see that house right there? That house has a Muslim family and it's haunted. It has five jinn in it. Will you investigate it? They'd probably be a lot more hesitant. You know, that's that's kind of what I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting with this. Okay. That, um, when you say like um, haunting, people automatically think, like I said before, ghosts. Ghosts, right? If you say like you want to go investigate a gin, they probably be like more like, well, yeah, there there would, there would be a lot a higher discomfort level that would happen with that. You know, right. mainly because you don't know what they are. Exactly. I, I actually did it. Yeah. I did a gin case where a Muslim woman was being brutally attacked by it. And um, that was um, a very heartbreaking case to, to deal with, with that, because I just learned about how these things are very, very powerful. And whether it's the belief system or they're real or whatever it is, they do have a big impact in the culture of like, you know, a billion people on this planet, right? you know, and we're over here, like with a 2% Muslim population or whatever it is in this, in this country, you know, and you see like the, like you guys, like a lot of your, your, you know, your military, a lot of your guys went over to the Middle East and come back and right, yeah. buy jewelry and yeah, like get me. trinkets and stuff like that. Yeah. And you never know what's going to be, What's what's gonna um and kind of I heard of a lot of stories of people will go go be in Iraq or whatever and they'll buy something off a peddler and they'll come back and all hell will break loose, mm-hmm. you know, with it because the people over there a lot of them don't like us and they will sell us a cursed necklace or something like that cheap, you know. I understand, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that's a, um that's a, that's a thought like that with it. So it's but um. I, I really suggest with anybody going into this, learn about gin and what they do and what they're capable of. And it might change your whole perception, perception on, um, on this kind of stuff like that, you know, and there are some good books out there on it. Okay. That's that, um, I, like, like Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who passed away earlier this year, she wrote the book, I think called vengeful gin. Right. And, um, then there's Legends of the Fire Spirits, and then there are a few other ones like that with it. And I used to be in a um, a, um, a gin research group, but I left it because too many people wanted to summon them. Oh, <laughs> you wow, know? Yeah. Like, people just don't get it. And that's the thing that's funny about it. When they come across something new, it's like they either are terrified of it or they want to go in with it both barrels. Right. right. <laughs> like, I'm kind of like, you really want to, you, you really want to do that, you know, like, like that, you know, yeah, that's what happens. Over like that, you know, so mm. it's just, it's just kind of like funny like that because it's, it's not a ghost. It's, it's very different. Well, seeing okay. how you did uh, a case like that, you, you must have known a little bit about it and you said you were in a research group. How is the average paranormal investigator when they get a request, how are they going to know if they're dealing with a ghost or a gin? Well, one thing is the level of violence. Uh, a lot of times, like, um, if it's a case where, where a woman is getting bona fide attacked or raped or something like that, that could be a gin. Um, if they're doing things that 
seem to completely defy the laws of physics in really weird ways. Like, um, things can, like poltergeist activity could very easily be a gin. Right. That's you know, right. I know like people like put, like they always think it to like 12 year old girls, which again, not every poltergeist involves a 12 year old girl. True. Yeah. You know, you know, there are a lot of them that don't, um, uh, other things is like the nature of the family like that. Like if you have a family where nothing has happened to them their whole lives and then all of a sudden something really bizarre starts happening to them. Like I had with, um, a case where I had a 13 year old kid who all of a sudden he wouldn't sleep in his bed. He was terrified. They went to the house to investigate. He had, um, he had a mattress on the floor in front of his parents' bed. He would not go into his room. And uh, there was something attached to a toy in that room like that. And we took it out. And as soon as we took it out, we didn't even tell him. He walked in there. He was like, it's gone. Uh, if something's attached to an object like that, mm-hmm. chances are that's a gin. Um, or falls under the gin family, the gin right. characteristics like that. And if something follows you home, that could be a gin okay. like that. Yeah, because ghosts don't follow people home. Um, you know, they really don't have that capability to latch on to you. It's like, yeah, I'm, but I've been haunting this place for the last 75 years. Oh, look, there's Mike. I'm going to go home with him now. I'm bored. Bye. <laughs> you know, they, they don't do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, they, just, they just don't do that. So, um, But something else there might, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, can, that can travel back and forth, whatever like that. Okay. So... Those are the, the things that are, that are that are like that with 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 gin, you know. Um, really, it's like if it's if it has to do with violence, poltergeist activity, nightmares, happens kind of spontaneously, associated with an object. Uh, those those kinds of things would pretty much connotate um, a gin with it like that. So what I did when I when I went to that house that had a gin is I made a. Um, I burned the, the um, symbols of the four archangels into a piece of wood and slipped under her bed. She never knew I did that. Right. But um, when she, when, when the last time I talked to her, she said it got back into her co- her um, apartment. She had an efficiency apartment. She said it got back into the apartment, but it won't touch her while she's in bed. Right. Well, I just said like, well, you know, as a Westerner, that might be the best I can do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want that thing coming after me either. So that was, you know, that was the best I could do like that. And then after that, I, I, I kind of closed the case okay. with it. But um, her family prior to her, a lot of them ended up in the insane asylums like that. And that's another thing like that. A gin can drive somebody insane. And that's a very fine line because you're talking about mental illness. Um, and that kind of stuff like that. So that's where it gets to be kind of difficult. The fact that a lot of um, a lot of places in Europe now, people are treated for mental illness and they're exercised from gin too. Oh, okay. At the same time, because they think the two of them are connected. It's kind of an interesting concept that's coming up with um, new migrations and stuff like that. So if so, you encounter... Yeah, the other thing is, I'm sorry. What? I was going to say, if you encounter a gin in one of your cases, how would one go about getting rid of a gin? Uh, I would say you would get through it through um, 
the yeah, you'd have to do it through some sort of a prayer. Okay. Would be one way of doing it. That's where faith has to come in somehow with it. And I just found that once you um use faith with it, like whatever your whatever your faith is, and I, I, I really do firmly believe that you have to have some sort of faith with this stuff. I know Al I really to. think you have to have a belief in the higher power of some sort with it. Uh and um if you have that then um, I think it can um, it can be released. And the other thing is, it can really only jump on you if you. Um, a lot of times, if you have like something on you that's damaged, like for example, if you have like a damaged aura, for example, like you went to an investigation when you're just getting over the flu, okay, or you're um, you have a terrible cold and you're going or. You're going on investigation right after mode of intense grief after somebody you really cared about died, and your guard is completely let down because normally we kind of have like a shield around us from this that kind of stuff with that. But um, if there's a breakdown like that, something can something can kind of latch on. And at first, it's very very subtle at first, and then it just kind of starts getting worse. It's like when you um. With a paranormal investigator, though, usually, for some reason, when things follow them home, they only last for like maybe two or three days, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I noticed for the most part with it. But if there's somebody in the family that's vulnerable, like a child or an elderly person or whatever like that, if it jumps onto that person, because let's face it, children are like little Petri dishes, you know, they are yeah. they catch everything, you know, and elderly the same way, and that, that kind of stuff like that, that's one of the reasons why I always say be very cautious if you have young children at home and never allow a pregnant woman on investigation. Right. Yeah. No. And a lot of uh, women get upset with me about that, but I just, I will stick to my guns like that. If, if this is going to mess with your baby, would you do it? It's like, would you smoke a cigarette? (laughs) You know, if you're pregnant, you know, probably they say like, absolutely not, absolutely not. I would say like, well, Think about it this way, you know, it could damage, really damage your baby, yeah. your unborn baby, like that. And I've seen that that happen with people who have kids, and the problem with investigators and their kids end up like having mental emotional problems as they're going on investigation. Mm-hmm. I write about that in there too. But um, yeah, if a, if a woman is pregnant or thinks she want to become pregnant, do not go on investigations like that you know and right. wait after after for a certain amount of time almost like do a maternity leave from it and right. if it's a man that has an infant at home i wouldn't recommend it either so yeah that that's a big big part of it like that babies are very vulnerable to that kind of stuff mm-hmm. with well, it, so what did you uh you said you did have a couple things in the book that you wanted to that weren't in the book that you wanted to go over i wanted to kind of give you a chance um, to... I think I, I did like one of them was yeah. I wanted to tell that story about that troll because right. I always thought that was like a really funny story that I always um, you know um, remember like that and uh, I think um, everything else is I think I pretty much went over about about everything that's actually in the book and Lord knows I can talk <laughs> right yeah so um, so but I do um 
you know, if you read the book, it's kind of like I'm talking, I'm sitting in front of you talking to you as that's the way I thought when I was reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I very like right, right in front of you there like that and like pull up a tear and just kind of listen and, and kind of, um, go into it, um, like that with it. And what I want to know too, is like what people think about it after they read it. You know, that's what's the, that's kind of like the curious, um, part about this kind of stuff is what do people actually think about with it? You know? So, um, because I haven't really gotten a lot of feedback from it so far like that. So I'm just, you know, kind of wondering about that, that myself with it, you know, right. but all the feedback I got has been pretty positive, which I'm, um, you know, kind of happy about because there are some parts of the book where I thought like, Oh my God, they're going to think I'm freaking crazy. You think you're out of there, you right? Know? Yeah. No, I, I, but, I yeah. you know, in, in my honest opinion, I enjoyed it. I mean, you, you hit a lot of topics. It's a you smooth, did. it's a smooth read. Um, and as I tell everybody, there may be a few things in there that I don't necessarily agree with, but that don't mean I don't respect you for trying to get that message out exactly. there. But for the most part, you and I, you and I have talked before too. I, I, I think a lot of my beliefs are moved into that more of that different, that conscious manifestation, that sort of stuff. So I, I feel like it's a, you know, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing for people to read. It's kind of, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. It's funny because, um, um, before I forget though, I, I texted you, Mike, about that coin. And that to me was like, I'm still haven't figured out what happened with that coin and how that got there like that. How, um, you know, um, the other day I opened up my, I live on the seventh floor of a condo and I opened up my door, front door to the hallway. I looked down, there's a coin sitting right at the floor on the floor in front of me in the hallway. Now you think like, yeah, quarter nickel, whatever like that. Nope. This was a 1945 British penny that was just sitting there like that. And they stopped making them in 1967. And I still don't know where that thing came from. <laughs> well, and, and I think I sent you the link to my story. I, mean, I think there's a lot of, I, I, yeah. as an investigator, I was an investigator for a long time before I really delved into it and realized that there was actually a big deal with coins and ghosts and things, that mm-hmm. sorts of things. Um, so yeah, I mean, there could be a connection there. You just haven't quite keyed on yet. I mean, yeah, could it be that somebody dropped it? But I know in your case, it's unlikely that somebody was up there with a 1945 British penny, but I, um, yeah. you maybe you just haven't figured out the, uh, the connection of how it, cause I know that's how most of the coins well, are. One thing I thought about was um, I instantly thought of my grandfather, and then I felt like in the military, a lot of times they give out challenge coins. Right. So maybe it could be something related to that, but that's the that's the closest I got from from that avenue. I just said to my friends, like, it better not have a murderous gin attached to it. Right. <laughs> so um, you know, it sounds like you've got a pretty good message that you want to leave for people, particularly maybe investigators. And, and uh, I think we covered some of that, but what are your is your final message to people out there besides buying the book, of course, but what what is your final message for people out there? Well, my final message would be for one thing, a is that don't believe what you see on television because chances are, if it seems like it's not out of the world, it probably is. Yes. Would be the first thing about it. Um, uh, B is, you know, 
if you're going to continue to do this kind of stuff, do it with respect and caution because you're not the only person that can get affected by this. Right. There could be innocent people getting affected by this and you're putting them in jeopardy by being arrogant. I think that um, the biggest weakness of a paranormal investigator is um, ego in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. And um, if anything is going to like bring them down, and I see it all the time where people call themselves like, you know, the, the ghost gentleman or the ghost this or the paranormal expert this or whatever like that and, and everything. And they have their pictures up and they're wearing all black, holding up a crucifix or doing something weird or whatever, you know, um, approach with humility would be the, the, the second thing I would say about oh, it. And the, the third thing about it would be, um, really, um, it's a constant learning lesson. It's constantly learning like that. You never stop learning about this kind of stuff. And finally, um, every paranormal investigator reaches a crossroads. And they reach that crossroads where they either go, I'm done with this, I'm bored with this, uh, I can't do this anymore, and they kind of wander off. Or they have like a situation happen that's almost like existential where their reality is completely challenged. And if that does happen, you're probably not going to be the same again after that. Okay. So that's a warning with that is sometimes like people sometimes say, why did you leave? And I say, I found what I was looking for, you know, and uh, that can really change your life in a lot of ways like that. And you have to be aware of that. I agree. I, um, so I'm going to, um, I was going to ask one, one final question here. If you want to, sure. um, if there's anything else you want to say, and then lastly, where they can actually ask two questions, if there's anything else that you want to point out, and then if you can, um, tell people where to find you, where to buy your book. Well, I think like, um, with a, I think I pretty much said, um, <clears throat> everything everything about it like that i'm just like a regular person like anybody else to just happen to have some experiences and um i took it for a ride you know it was and it was a hell of a ride like that and if you want to if you want to go on a ride like that you can go on that ride but you also need to know when to get off the ride too right you know and there's no shame in saying i had enough you know, this is affecting my life too much. This is affecting things too much. There's no shame in saying that with that. No. And your story is unique because as everybody's story is unique. Exactly. Right. With it. So, um, you know, and there's really no, um, no judging with that, with it, you know? So if that's where you need to go, then, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, with the book, uh, I, there's like, there's three ways that you can get the book. And, um, the one way is I, I keep getting people that contact me and they go, you know, Oh, I, I really like to get a, like to get a signed book. Right. And the only way they get a signed book is if they contact me and they would have to like buy the book and they would uh, pay a little extra for shipping because I would, um, I would ship it out to them and, you know, we can like, you know, order it like that and, and do it that way. And I, I keep a few on hand just in case, like, somebody, 
you know, wants that. I, I, I've learned that people love signed books. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? And I, I believe so, you can contact you through the, uh, on your Facebook, Project Rabbit Hole, right? Yeah, they can contact me through Project Rabbit Hole on Facebook. Uh, that's one way. Just, you know, type in Project Rabbit Hole and it should come up there. Yeah, it did. And you can message, you can message me on there and, um, you know, I'm pretty um, alert with, um, with that. Uh, they can email me at uh, bioticleg72 at gmail.com is the second way they can contact me. Um, if they buy the book through lulu.com, which is the second way I, I would like to them to buy it, like off the um, publishing site, because quite frankly, I don't have to pay a, a, um, a fee for that. <laughs> like when you, get, when, when you go through the distribution fee. Right. Um, and it's easier to just get it directly from um, um, Lulu like that. And they're okay. actually really good with that. And I have the ebook up there as well as the hardcover, mm-hmm. uh, the paperback book there. And if they buy it there, they automatically get my email address and the um, thank you note that comes Oh, great. Up okay. There. And they can, they can contact me um, through um, that way um, as well with it. So um, just don't contact me asking me for cool places to go that that, right, you, yeah. that you want to visit. <laughs> right. It's like, that, that gets a little bit irritating. I but, bet it um, does. Yeah, but but uh, it's, but it's but it's on. Um, it's it's at this point. I just did a check today, and the book is everywhere now. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. It's in all those places now. Yeah. Which I'm very happy about. Um, now that it's that it's that's really like you know um all it's over the place yeah. with it it's um it's out there uh definitely uh but um at this point um lulu.com is the best bet with right. it well, and like i said you can contact me directly and um i could arrange to get like you know a signed copy if, if that's what they want all right great like that and yeah. anybody who buys it um i really appreciate it that um, anybody who bought this because I, 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 I wrote this for um, I wrote this to try to like you know prevent things that happen to me that happen to my friends and right. other people like that so, kind of like say you know you don't have to do this the hard way either you can kind of like figure things out and learn respect right. and caution at the same time with it so yeah so that's so those are the best ways to do it. And I think you have the links to my Amazon. And yeah, my we do. Yes, too. sir. They will all be yeah. in the show notes. Anybody wants to look there, we'll have them up in the show notes. They'll be on our webpage. Um, and then there'll of course be links from our Instagram yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, Al, if you'll hold the line real quick, we're going to wrap up and then I'll be on with you as soon sure. as we wrap yeah. up. But, um, I just wanted to remind everybody again, the show notes will be, um, you know, included where you can find Al's book a little about Al. And then, uh, it's a, it's a pretty good book. I yeah, recommend I enjoyed you read it. it. Enjoy talking with you, Al. And uh, don't forget, you. you can find us at militaryparanormal.com. On Podbean. At Facebook. On Twitter. And now on, on Instagram. That's right, Instagram now. If you have a suggestion for the show or you want to call in and tell your story, don't forget that you can um, email us at podcast at militaryparanormal.com. Good night. Good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to the MPI Paranormal Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Military Paranormal Investigations. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Don't forget to connect with us on Podbean, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, the truth is to be found.